Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, January 28th, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. Important follow-up to yesterday's show. We discussed the Texas border. We discussed some very alarming realities around a lot of different things, but we're the specifically we're going to talk about today is sorry, I'm distracted by this flicker in the background. Let me try to fix that. There we go. My apologies for that. A lot of different dynamics around the Texas border conversation. And and for those that actually took the time to digest and listen to my given long discussion about it, my full opinion about it without jumping to conclusions one way or the other, you'll see very clearly that I do think something is going on there. We talked about weaponized migration. We talked about a lot of different things in the state state's rights. We talked about the, you know, legalities of the border of the, of the, the national border versus the Texas border, which happened to be the same in this regard on, you know, states that are along the national border, the legalities around that. And importantly, a really big focus on states rights and what that really means. And the, one of the topics we discussed within it all was that there was a lot of hype and a lot of lies circulating. And by the way, what I said first was simply just to point out that nowhere in there did I suggest that this is not something we should be concerned about or that there is no illegal migra- immigration or that there's not a politicized part of this. In fact, I said all of those things, but it's it's a lot of partisan minded people, I would argue, are very quick to respond to what they think is one opinion that means everything what you talk about. It's very nuanced. And again, I always stress that if you're able able to see it outside of the two-party talking points, you'll have a lot more of a a broad understanding of what's going on, and you'll be more objective. I think that's just a basic reality. But one of the things we discussed within it is the allegation of a suspected terrorist that was found. Very quickly within the partisan media was diagnosed, was, you know, this is who it is. He's an Azerbaijani terrorist who was arrested, and he's part of the Muslim community. And turns out that's not who he was. We showed you that yesterday. Very clearly wasn't, wasn't that person. Now, I am near certain that we found out who this person was actually today somebody sent this to me and i'll show it to you and in the research it becomes quite clear he mentions where he's from he mentions where he was imprisoned and then there's been uh, both two things on top of it artificial intelligence facial recognition as well as the fact that apparently he spoke up in Azerbaijan yesterday saying that's not me so who is it From what we can see, the person who did identify where he was from and where he was arrested and the match turns out that he worked for Mossad in Egypt, where he was arrested for working for Mossad as a spy. Now, this is interesting because of what we talked about yesterday and the possibility of some foreign entity driving that kind of issue. Now, that's largely what most people think when they discuss the weaponized migration very, I guess, certainly could be used against oneself, but usually done from an outside party. So we theorized about who, and what I felt made the most sense was Israel, which of course you could argue, as I said yesterday, is what's on my mind. And I'm, you know, you confirmation bias is a real thing that nobody can get away from. We just have to acknowledge that it exists. But nonetheless, I found points that I thought were very interesting and connective. And so today we're going to discuss that person right out of the gate, and why I think that's the case, and then go over some other points that I think are very relevant. But most of the point that would relate to this were discussed yesterday. Now, we're also going to talk about an interesting point early about artificial intelligence and facial recognition. Interesting that there's an overlap there, but this is about 
of it's all this this part of the story is sort of it's really important i wanted to include today but it's not as you know i usually try to keep kind of a flow through all the topics today as much as there's a connection there this is just something i needed to talk about today because of how unnerving the story was artificial intelligence recognizing a person claiming they were a thief person walks into the dmv they arrest him because they say you were identified as this person from another state that was charged with this crime he was arrested he was beaten up in prison he was raped in prison he was released and turns out it wasn't him artificial intelligence made a mistake i can't i mean it's this is the dark reality of where this goes and whether that's an accident or could have been done intentional both of those things are what we really worry about I just, it's, it's an, it's a very disconcerting reality. And I want to make a point about where that's going. And then of course, we're going to talk about predominantly the latter half of the show, the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency. Now it's a story that's been building on the side. And as you guys will know, there's so much to talk about. And as you also know, I like to make sure we're thorough and we have discussions about it. And it's not just some quick, here's the point, move on. And maybe some people prefer that, but I think it's important that we understand these things. And so it's more difficult for me to kind of just shoehorn in these large topics. And so I put things off. Like, for instance, someone was just giving me a really hard time. In fact, the person who shared this with me, thank you for that person, but gave me a really hard time about not talking about Texas earlier. And it's just so easy to criticize somebody for not talking about something. When it's not as simple as saying, because you don't talk about it, you are, you know, whatever you assume into it. In this case, it's just that I could very, my opinion, as I expressed, is I feel that we're being set up. And I think that doesn't mean it's fake, but I feel that there's a, a psyop going there. And I was thinking in my mind up until now, and I still do, that these other things were larger, more important, more, you know, for the world. But I can clearly see that this is building into something very alarming and clearly being used. And so I decided to talk about it. Same thing with all the rest of there, there's a lot of different things we could get into that sometimes you just don't. And and that point was UNRWA, or the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, that's the acronym. It's been building and they've been accusing them of working for Hamas. And there was a couple of things that were floated. And I've seen this building for like a month now. All of a sudden, it's become this really prominent topic. And I've got all the data back up and I want to go through this. And there's some new things we just found today from people on Twitter and other platforms showing you that this is a very obvious operation. Now, that doesn't mean that there might not be an overlap in there, and I'll show you what I mean by that and why that doesn't have to mean exactly what they're claiming. And in fact, by default, wouldn't based on one or two or even 12 people, but that this is, in fact, a very clear operation or agenda by the Israeli government to, to one, attack everything Palestinian, but two, make sure that the one last saving grace they have, which is the only place they're getting any kind of help or aid or security or shelter from, is removed. And I think this is just and, and the fact that the United States government comes along and other countries and literally after everything that happened, sanction the only group actually helping, even if you believe everything they're saying and not doing anything about it's just this is unparalleled. And we're going to talk about that to finish. So let's start today. With this topic, now we just went over this yesterday. Make sure you watch this. I think it was a very thorough and important show. You, I'm sure some, you'll disagree with something. But listen to it, consider it. And as always, I argue it's really irresponsible to jump to the conclusion that because someone has a different opinion that they are a shill or a manipulator, consider that always with me and anybody else. But unless you've got something that actually gives any kind of evidence at all in that direction, it's ridiculous. That's what a lot of the partisan players do today. By design, that's being designed that way, that you reflexively dismiss or you accuse without any evidence, a la Twitter files and the way it all goes today. But my point saying that is it, this is a contentious topic. I get it. 
there's a lot of people that would quickly react to, you know, whether I want to use the term invasion or, or any number of things. Being objective seems to confuse a lot of people today. Considering possibilities is not accepting them. I consider in long form all sorts of theories, and I'll later say I don't even think that's the case, but it's important to flesh out the possibility. That seems to confuse some people, largely in the two-party paradigm today. I know why, but I'm hoping people can see broadly and consider things, even though they don't think they may be the case. It's just intelligent. Now, we talked about this yesterday, Texas border crisis, that I think is the new January 6th. I think people are being set up using real things in order to destabilize, and in, in the simplest case, help Biden's election, consider create the idea that anybody they deem MAGA or Republican are somehow now domestic terrorists, which we've seen that build for a very long time. And then the larger point of whatever the foreign policy interdynamics are, whether you think this is Israel or something else and what that and you know why that's happening. We talked about weaponized migration, which is regardless of any theory, concept of what's racist and what's not, this is a very real politically discussed studied topic that's been utilized long before the creation of the United States. This goes back a long way, human history. People have always weaponized the migration. It's something you can look up. And even right now, Israel is being accused of that in regard to how they're dealing with the migration of the people of Palestine. So it's interesting. We talked about that yesterday. Now, here is what you'll see circulating. Now, all the big right-wing accounts, I mean, it's just without any due diligence, we're all quickly to point out, the, the, well, some of them, right, and I, I, you know, credit where it's due to say this could be this person. Fair enough. I, I won't criticize that. That's it, it was definitely possible. And by the way, the image I used today was the image of the person who was at the border and the image of the person who is Muvsam Samadov, who is not this person. And I'll show you that in a second. That's this Liam Cosgrove was the first place I saw this. Just very clearly showing you that the image of the person on the border is similar to the image of the person that they're telling you it might be, but the person who it might be they're telling you on the right is old now. It's an old that's an older image of him when he was younger, and he got out of prison after 12 years, and he looks very different today. So it's definitely not the person they're saying it is. That's clear. But what's what again, my point was simply to show you that you're gonna find just account after account after account after account going, oh my god, it's this person, he's a terrorist, and he's Muslim, and this is what Biden is doing. I mean, this is, and you know, this is why I can, art people do to some level in the middle ground, understand why people are concerned about what they deem misinformation. My stance is simply that people are allowed to lie. People are allowed to be wrong. People are allowed to try to deceive you. That, that's concluded within free speech. The problem is that they're censoring people trying to tell you the truth. So it gets this confusing reality, but then all you end up with is a bunch of liars and manipulators. And then they point at that and go, we need to control this. And they censor me again. <laughs> that's how this tends to go. I just want you to recognize how many people are doing everybody, all the large accounts. Again, shout out to Liam Cosgrove for pointing this out. The Middle Easterner filmed at the border is not Mavsam Samadab. And he goes through and shows you the images, which I'll quickly show you again. This is him now, much, much older after being in prison for 12 years. And again, it comes back to like a religious freedom ba battle about about headscarves and so on. And I mean, again, whether we take it face value, the U.S. and, you know, the typical entities that would accuse people of terrorism for resisting what they're trying to enforce on foreign countries, it very well could be that he committed all sorts of terrorist acts, but it also could just be that it's these governments deeming that terrorist acts like they do any number of things that very clearly are not. Just keep that in mind. The point, though, as you can see here, this is him uh, recently on his own channel. He's got a mole that the other guy does not. He's bald. He's older. It's very obviously not this guy. Now, this guy, though, was the one that, caught all the attention 
first of all, let's play you with the clip that was circulating, which is not the whole clip, which the whole clip doesn't add that much more context, but it does add some. Here's the first clip that was circulating, just where he's basically appearing to threaten something, which is ambiguous and undefined. And yet it quickly became he's threatening terrorism and it's all going to come down because Biden's foreign policy or domestic. Enough, you would know who I am, but you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. So it basically says, you know, you don't know, listen again. You're not smart enough to know who I am. But you are really not smart enough to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. But soon you're going to know who I am. Now, of course, could that mean he's going to carry out a terrorist attack? We're all going to know his name. Certainly possible. Seems a little bit ridiculous, seeing as how he must know he's being filmed and he must know that people would hear it. and He must know that they would then have his face and they would go, let's find that guy before he carries it out. Kind of seems ridiculous, doesn't it? And the entire premise of it feels very orchestrated, very staged. Everything. My first instinct, which doesn't always turn out to be the case, was like, well, that seems very ridiculous. Exactly what would be used as the, you know, the bad guys coming across the border threaten terrorism. I mean, it's like very, very on the nose, which, by the way, to be clear, just this is the kind of assumption I was talking about. That statement does not then translate to there has never been a terrorist that's crossed the border. I think that's obvious both because of your government and working with them and foreign policy, allowing these things to happen, or just the fact that, yes, I do agree that the policies are politicized. And on Biden's side of this, it is ridiculous the way that they're not enforcing laws and the fact that it does allow a much bigger gap for people like that to come across. See, it's I've always thought that. I've always expressed that. But what's funny is the assumption becomes the opposite because of partisan politics. But here is the full picture and it, 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 this is like before before he says this, the point is that what you're going to see is a little bit of a context of the way that people are reacting towards him. People filming on the border, which I would argue seem like right wing, you know, filmer, whatever you want to think that people that are of the mind. I should have removed the right wing statement. The point is people that are there of the mind that Biden's policy is bad and that they're trying to film to show the flood of migrants coming across and so on. Right. Whatever party you may think they associate with. So you could argue that that person, based on what you're going to see, was being a little bit of confrontational with him, which all I'm saying that he has a right to is that maybe that drove this person to say something that was meant to be contentious because he felt threatened or because he wants to make, you know, my point is believing that it is exactly what your agenda it works best for your agenda is a little bit self-serving. He could have been lying. He could have meant something else, or he could have been saying it just to razz this guy because he was bugging him, you know, or he's a terrorist. All those are possible. From the United Nations uh, documents. What country are you from? Not Me? Yeah. I, I better keep it safe now. Until, safe. Well, you're until, in America. I mean, until, they're about to find out where your country you're from. Are you going to take where I'm from uh, by force? No. So I will right. not take you, where I'm from. So these are, are, the that, these are the people that. These are the people that. question? These no, are the people no. that are breaking Why, into your country, you, folks. You ask me, I answer to you. What, what he says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, See, so this is one of those things, too, is it's like, this is my point from yesterday. Like the woman said, he's not breaking through. There's a, there's a difference there. Like, obviously, there was illegal immigration. Obviously, there have been people in a large scale that have illegally crossed the border. That's an ab obvious re static reality. On Biden's side of it, you could argue that he's trying to give them asylum and there's a, there's a legal dynamic to be had there. But bottom line is there's a law and it's not being held up. My point, though, is that People are not illegals until they illegally cross the border, right? So when you have this flood of migrants coming up from, from anywhere, and all of a sudden people, before they even get to an engaged process, are being treated and dealt with and spoken to as illegals, it shows you a problem, doesn't it? 
Like, how do we know what they're going to try to accomplish? And, you know, it's my point is simply to make sure we understand that. Even if you think that 99% of them later go on to try to do it because Biden and so on, I'm not disagreeing. My point is simply just to make it clear that we can't broad stroke these people. And secondarily, why we're treating the people themselves because of the hypothetical but real threat that they may be an asset or a terrorist or whatever else. When the reality is most of them are just average people who are suffering because of your government's foreign policy. And then we can acknowledge they're still being used and understand and treat it that way. But treating them individually as illegals and terrorists and bad people broadly, it shows a level of racism, of hatred that your government's instilling in you. But I think that's important to understand. Even if what you're saying is true, there are still innocent people mixed in with that, right? Now, right there, the point is that he's just kind of saying, here's what's breaking through. And so this guy's listening to that. I'm just simply pointing out that he may very well go, fuck this guy. Or excuse me, I forgot this. Can't cuss. Screw this guy. You know, this guy's bugging me. So I'm going to make it seem, you know, hypothetically. Now realize I'm saying all this, just like I was making the point earlier, as the objective hypothetical possibilities. We're about to get to the point to where I think very clearly this guy's a Mossad agent. So th all that goes out the window. But realize these are important things to consider. Doesn't mean I necessarily believe them all. These are the people right here. That kind of attitude. Let me uh, educate you. you. It's a tripod to hold the camera. So you see, there you go. Violence. So there you go. And also saying protect my family. I mean, this doesn't really line up with the way that it was being framed before, right? It's now this is the video next is where he talks about the other thing. These are the people that are coming in. Were the ones laughing. It's very easy to find. Okay. So here, Sir Thinks a Lot is the person who shared this with me and says, uh, I think you, sh you saw the first video posting that it wasn't him, but have you seen this? So thank you, Sir Thinks a Lot, for, for sharing this with me. Now, this is a post from, you know, one the typical things you're going to see in the partisan media. When terrorists enter country illegally, thank you, even though at this point he has yet to cross in any way, so there's nothing illegal happening, and secondarily, you don't know who he is, and you're assuming based on things circulating online. Typical partisan media. Certainly could be, and in fact, I very much do think, based on the next part, that he is. Well, I mean, you could call, I mean, quite frankly, let's be honest, do you think CIA agents committing crimes around the world are not terrorists? Like, let's be real about that. Just because we think of them as our intelligence, some of the things the CIA do around the world are the worst things that happen in the world. And yet we just don't do that. We don't call them those names. It's only reserved for certain color people in certain parts of the world. The point is, if it's a Mossad agent who is actively committing a crime, you could, do, you could use those words the same. Now, this is the video you just saw. Now, here is this person saying, and this is just firstly what he's pointing out. He's a Jordanian engineer named Bashir, Bashar Abu Said, who was imprisoned in Egypt for recruiting for the Mossad. Now, that is a real person who was, in fact, imprisoned for working with Mossad. Here's the actual article. I'll go over this in one second. And he in includes the link to one of these articles. And this he says, the guy on the border was matched using artificial intelligence, coming up as Bashar Abu Said, but the image was over 10 years old. He says, uh, Mabsam Samadov came out to the press in Azerbaijan and said that that was not Kim. Now, these things are true. The point is these are irre ultimately irrelevant to the fact that you're going to hear what he has to say, which is provably not what, uh, I'm blanking on his name, uh, this guy, Mabsam Samadov went through, right? He was arrested in Azerbaijan and spent 12 years in prison and Again, he just spoke on his own YouTube channel and spoke up in public saying that he's still there. 
So that's clear, right? Oop, went back too far. So the point is that when you hear, uh, maybe I'll just, I'm going to read this next. This article goes into the fact that this guy that we're talking about did spend 10 years in prison, not the one we're talking about in Azerbaijan, but in Egypt for working for Israel for espionage and literally trying to recruit people and elect technological aspects, telecommunications aspects and sectors for Mossad. I'll go over this in one second, but let's listen. This feels like it makes more sense. Let's watch this first. Now, this was the same guy basically pointing out, you know, the same thing. Here's a terrorist, the same name, even though that's clearly not him. Now, here is a video that's important where he both claims he's a Jordanian citizen, which then clearly shows you that it's not assuming he's saying the truth, which, again, he could be lying. But again, the face doesn't match the other one. And that he's from Palestine. Now, if this is a guy who works for Mossad and, and is from Jordan, it's interesting he would say he's from Palestine, isn't it? Makes more sense to me that that's because the narrative is bad guy terrorists working with he with Hamas are going to be coming through your border, just like Netanyahu said. Now, is that what's happening, or is this a Mossad agent saying he's from Palestine? No, listen to the clip. So. Yep, yep, no worries. Uh, uh, English. My wife. She doesn't oh, speak that's Spanish. Yes, I give which we learn Spanish in our way. A uh -huh. little bit, a little right. bit. After three months. Three months journey. Walking from Bolivia to here. Wow, that's a long journey. Uh, we say- This one, that's the age. That's the age, yes. Are you just wandering around camp? Telephone number, familia? Yes. Face, no. Base, we say this is the age. Country. Country. And here is the age. Yeah. Which one's that Where one? are you going? Ah, Dallas. He's going to Dallas, he says. I have the address. The full address. Perfect. Yeah, we've been able to call ahead on what, quite a few people and, and make sure. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah. Jordan. Because you've made it this far, but I'm going to tell you, you got a whole other round of, of fun stuff. But what our government's been promising you is not. Yeah. I know. Yeah. We didn't come here for any charity or any. any you want the, the American dream, no, no. right? No, no, no. I came here for something else. Oh. I love that. You want the American dream, right? No. <laughs> like. Like the the illusion that these people have, that these people are fleeing to some, like not fleeing from the destructive forces of your foreign policy and your government. You know, it's just funny. It's rarely is it about we're fleeing for the, the American dream. You know, it's that I mean, the reality is even Americans are becoming quite aware that that's not what, if it ever existed, it's not what we're living through right now. But his response is interesting, right? And this, again, very well could mean something or just that something or could be benign. Fun stuff, but what our government's been promising you is not. Yeah, yeah. We had, we I, had one... I didn't come here for any charity or any. any you want the, the American the dream, no, no. right? No, no, no. I came here for something else. For something else. Oh. Yes, I came here to defend 
against the inhumanity that's what's happening in our countries. I was an ex-prisoner for 10 years and 4 months and 22 days wow. for fabricated case in Egypt after the first revolutions happened in 2011. There it is. Okay, so there, first of all, the first guy, Mosav, uh, Mubsa, or I want to make sure I say it right. His name is uh, Mubsam Samdav, was in jail for 12 years in Azerbaijan, not Egypt. Okay, this guy just said that he was in jail for 10 years, which is the case, just like the guy from the Mossad agent served in Egypt. So that's really interesting. So clearly not that guy. I think that's obvious. But now we got Jordan. We have, which that guy was a Jordanian who was imprisoned for 10 years. That guy was in prison for 10 years in Egypt, just like him. Now he said fabricated case. You can consider that's the, the possibility. Doesn't seem like it to me. After Mubarak did down from his bullshit chair and the other ugly face came, which now he's talking about democracy and he's none, nothing, he know nothing about democracy. They put me, they put me for 10 years, Sasha. four months and 22 days in a cell that's one and a half meter by one and a half meter where there's no light. Good heavens. You can see my pictures on the is... internet, by the way. Just write my name. First name and last name. You'll see all the story. Um, here. It's a story. This is my personal business card. Please. You can call or text me. Perfect. And I've got, yeah, I've been Perfect. I've been documenting down here Perfect. for three years. Perfect. What's going on? I have all the Hit me up. About, about share my your share. links. My, my, my... I'm interested, whoever, if there's somebody in the area that would somehow have access to what he wrote down there, what name did he put down? That would be interesting. You know, what was the information? What did it pertain to? My case and other teenagers that are dying inside the jail. They already uh, some, they already did and they just bury them or just give them to uh, their family. Oh. It's just heart attack. And this is not heart attack. It's totally bullshit. Not heart attack. That is sad. Uh -huh. Even in Jordan, even in Saudi Arabia. There it is. So, come on. I didn't come here for charity. I'm an executive chef. Oh. By the way, I'm too graduated. The, my first degree is a telecommunication engineer. And I had my company before the arrest. And it was very good satellite connections company. And after I had another degree in hotel and uh, restaurant management. And, and I take it step by step until I reach an executive chef. Right on. So. Good yes. for you. And, and, and you. God, I just thank you that you're leading the thank steps. You. That you you've got them in the no, palm of your hand and taken away. No, there's yeah. people coming through who want to work, charity, but they're the not finding. Charity from America, no. Yeah, we've no. got people coming over that just want to work and they're not finding jobs. I left my happy life with my wife in Saudi Arabia. We had 2023 full new car. We had our new house. So my, he seems to suggest living my, in Saudi Arabia after all of that, which I guess is certainly possible. I work there. I left it because I'm just seeking uh, uh, what you call it, justice. Yeah. I need justice. Now, but you could take that as meaning he's going to get justice in his own way. I mean, you know, see, so you can always read into what he's saying or anybody for that matter and make it what you think might actually be happening. Right. That's, that's just confirmation bias. Amen. So this is why I came here, because Good. I know America is the country of justice. Amen. Right. Amen. That's America is the government, the country of justice. Is that, is that the case? I, I mean, clearly he doesn't believe that, right? I mean, I, my, that's my opinion based on what he said elsewhere. But, you know, think about the first comment. You're too stupid to know who I am. You will know who I am. Seems like an in, that, that seems like a threat. It sure does. It doesn't really seem to line up with what he's saying here. So you could argue that he 
slipped up and said that over there because the guy made him mad, or you could argue he was saying that to taunt the guy and he was making it up. I mean, let's let's be clear. People are very aware of the political dynamic around this all around the world. So it's up to you to decide. So I think this is where it's most important. Now, the other thing is you can look at the images that he's sharing here. And I do agree. Remember, this is old. This is 10 years before. That does look very similar to the guy we're talking about. Right? Just 10 years older. If you, I mean, I, I really would argue that and, that. and using artificial intelligence, apparently, which, by the way, is not as, as exact and accurate as we all think it is. But it, it, there is a match. So I think what's interesting is if it is, if it is this guy working for Mossad, that says quite a bit. Egypt, Egypt sentenced Jordanian engineer to 10 years in jail for espionage. Egypt's state security court on Wednesday sentenced a Jordanian, and again, this is in 2014, uh, to, to telecommunications engineer to 10 years in prison. So it's interesting. So it would be right about now he would be getting out of prison, right? On charges of espionage for Israel. The court also handed a life sentence in absentia to an Israeli Mossad agent that the Jordanian engineer, Bashar Abu Zaid, is accused of cooperating with. Egyptian intelligence arrested 37-year-old Abu Zaid in April 2011, accusing him of intercepting international calls and redirecting them to Israel to enable Mossad to monitor them. He was also charged with collecting data on some of the employees working at the telecommunications sector with the aim of recruiting candidates to work for Mossad, you know, probably trying to blackmail them into some way to doing what they want. And just you'll find a lot of different articles about this. Here's an, an ad, another part of it saying that he and this was in, when it actually happened back in 2011, saying that he was he's accusing Egyptian billionaire of plotting to poison him, which essentially arguing that that's, a you know, in a way, admitting that he was doing certain things. But this is why it's an interesting dynamic. Now, before we go past that, to me, based on what we talked about yesterday, the overlaps of the obvious reality, first of all, of, of Greg Abbott in Texas having recently gone to Israel more than once in the past, being an aggressive Zionist, voting in anti-BDS laws, you know, th th which are unconstitutional. Why in the world a governor of a state is going to Israel so frequently anyway is something we should ask. But then realizing that just before, just at the end of the year he was in Israel, I think it's an, a question that we should be asking. And now suddenly we have a person who appears to be, based on his own sentiments and his own location of prison, a Mossad agent. Or at the very least, it's not the person who all the right-wing media are hyping as somebody who is more so aligned with the ideal ideolo ide ideology that can be led against Iran and the rest of them. It's very interesting how all this is coming together. So then we can talk about the actual border itself. And I think this is an important video that I think most people are missing the larger point, which is in the sense of the open borders. But this is these are the Texas borders. And if Greg Abbott is the one screaming about how this has to happen because of illegal immigration and half a mile down the road, there's a whole bunch of fences wide open. You need to realize that's not just a Biden thing. That is a government thing. And Abbott is not clearly caring about for illegal immigration if it's only this pretend focus in this one small location. So consider this. This, this video is he took these videos himself. What's going on, guys? I know y'all come to my page because of the comedy and I just play around on here. And I don't get political very often. Sometimes I have some things to say about things. I live in Texas. I was just in Eagle Pass. And uh, I've got some videos I need to show you guys. Because you're watching the news, whether it's CNN or Fox. You're letting these news media idiots 
get you riled up against each other. Let me show you some videos that might just calm your ass down and make you turn off the TV. Watch this. All right, so this is the the wall, you know, the fence that we put up. And they put up a secondary fence because they opened the gates. There's some armed guards with some pretty serious weaponry. You know, pretty intimidating, right? Here's your razor wire uh, in between the two bridges that are in the entrances into Mexico and also the entrances to Eagle Pass. There's some Hummers, some more guys, right? We're protecting, you know, we're, we're keeping them out. This is 0.5 miles from that area. 0.5 miles from where they set up their cameras. 0.5 miles from where they have all the people there. And it's right down the road. I left this long to show you just how short of a drive it is for us to get to a point where all that we just saw does not matter. And they're just getting you riled up against each other because it's election time. And right about here is where you're going to see it. What's that? Where are the armed guards? Now, what's important to look at with this, like, I know there's there, there are discussions circulating about, you know, welding the fences open and so on which i'm that seems impossible to verify like unless there's somebody there that can go look but regardless my point is and it's, there's multiple that one the next one very clearly and the point is obviously this does if you if this is accurate and i do believe it is that there is a problem in regard to the open board like if there's just open fences like that and there are laws surrounding illegal immigration that seems like a guarantee that you're not going to abide by that but the point is obviously yes that shows a an agenda there, but not just from Biden's perspective. If you have Greg Abbott, who, again, let's remember, who has not been he's been criticized by the right aggressively up until this point as not doing enough. Right. But the point is now suddenly standing up and kind of being the champion of the battle here, even though, again, he does not largely align with a lot of these talking points, but ultimately is allowing that. And I said the same thing before. Why do why did only now do people care about this? This has been going on long before this month, right? I mean, if it was such a big deal to deal with this, why wasn't we, why were we talking about this a month ago? A month before that. Some people were, that, but the point is that's the Texas governor choosing to hyper-focus on this one area and the razor wire conversation while leaving fences half a mile down the road wide open. And secondarily, why are there only people and only media and all this big circle around that one location? I completely agree with what he's saying. And that's what I was saying yesterday. We're being played, which doesn't have to mean fake things. I actually just commented that while I was playing to somebody else that I think the most successful psyops in history always use real things and real events and real people. That's how they work the best. So understanding that it is weaponized migration, in my opinion, doesn't then mean or the point is that just because you call it a psyop doesn't then mean that there's not a real action of weaponized migration taking place. We're just they're using these things intentionally to, I think. Like I said, it's the new January 6th to one, drive people who can then be called domestic terrorists into taking action violently. I mean, look what they just said, go down and defend and take our border back. Or Trump says, let's send the, send the National Guard from the other states to essentially the argument is to, I guess, stand against the federal government. Now, of course, you can argue they're doing that to maintain the peace. Same thing the U.S. military says around the world. How's that working out? The point is that it's 
un- regardless, you're sending a violent force at the butt of a gun to defend against the federal government, which arguably there's a legal constitutional area where that might add up. The point, though, is that you know they're going to later point back at this and say that was a real call to violence. I mean, I, I, I'm not even saying I agree that that's the logical point, but they're going to use this likely to remove Trump from more ballots as well as anybody that tries to go down there to violently take action will be arrested. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You do what you think is right. At the end of the day, though, I believe it's a trap. And I do not think playing into that is the smart thing to do. Where are the AR-15s? Where, where are, where's the razor wire? Where's the gates? That's half a mile from where the media is blowing up that Texas versus the feds, that we're having this big battle. So that was one gate. That was the very first gate that I saw. We drove down a little bit more. There's one. It had a chain on it. So you keep driving down the road. You got Trump's wall doing its job. Not even a door there. This one has never even had a gate. So to me, it doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, libertarian. It doesn't matter what you are and you're posting about this Texas versus the feds and we could have a civil war. I'm telling you right now, if a civil war breaks out, it's not because there's something good to fight over. It's because it's election time. It is because the news media is corrupt and you need to turn the TV off. I don't care. I don't care what news media you watch. Just go down there and look yourself. Go look. The, The things that they are saying that the feds and... Texas are fighting about is a stretch that is not even a mile. How long is the border? They can just walk right over and those gates keep going and going and going and going. I know you're thinking, well, just two gates. No, they're all open, open all the gates. It's a whole hoopla over this little bitty section in Eagle Pass in between a bridge and a bridge. Only place that there's guards. So if you can't get in half a mile, of our border you just walk down the road and you go across the border there all all you folks posting about this you've picked a side and you think you're doing the right thing but i'm all of you need to reevaluate the country you live in and the information that's being given to you because i really i wanted to be on the republican i wanted to push on the republican side hell i'm from texas I'm, I'm in the middle no matter what usually, but I wanted to lean towards that side. And once I got down there, I was like, nope, I don't know. Believe what you want to believe, but I recorded those videos. No one sent me that. I don't know what else to tell you guys, but turn the TV off. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you have to agree with everything he's saying. Quite frankly, I would disagree with one point, obviously, that I do think there's plenty of valid things to fight for, even things that might lead to the level of violence. But in my mind, as I've always told you, my personal opinion is violence begets violence. And I think there is another way forward. Doesn't mean you have to agree with me. Like, that's one of the things that people get really upset about. My point is you can make your own decisions. But I personally find that that is not going to achieve what you think it will. My point in saying the first part is that there's a lot of valid reasons to act in violence. If you're being attacked, if you're defending your family, but there's there, those parts for me are are specific and unique and, and, and should be reserved for desperate times. And that's my personal opinion. Nonetheless, all of what he said there, I believe I agree with that 
it's obvious that we're being played. And I think that it's it's interesting, again, that we folk people tend to see that and go, see, it's an open thing. It's Biden's. But you have to realize that that's Greg Abbott's border as well. And the idea is that these fences are being left open. There's no media coverage right down the road. So to me, it's just like we were saying, it is your government doing this. And clearly, both sides playing into this hyper focus in this one location. Which again, if we overlap that with the reality that Greg Abbott is clearly a very tight entity with the Israeli government, and we can see all these different manipulative factors, and we can see that it looks like a Mossad agent was recently trying to cross and making it look like he was coming from Palestine and he was threatening things, I see a bigger dynamic happening here that is bigger than just an immigration conversation. And of course, the people that talk about the weaponized migration, you realize that this is stemming from groups like Israel. The idea of flooding the country in order to both create destabilization, but also create the hatred and the animosity towards the groups that Israel's currently trying to ethnically cleanse. I think that's important. Now, again, I get, I understand that we all have confirmation bias and it's something that's on the tip of my mind. I get that. Think for yourselves. It doesn't have to be that. I just think this is what makes the most sense. And of course, I will never tell you this is the case unless I think I can prove it. That's always important. Now, I want to overlap this, like I said yesterday. With a really interesting conversation, this is a great article from Matt Taibbi. I don't, I don't agree with everything it's said in here. I rarely do, but I do think this is an excellent article, and I think it's worth your time. It's called, Is the Electoral Fix Already In? Now, there's a lot of a lot of points in there, some of which I skip over because I only focus on one specific thing in this. That it's a, it's a foregone conclusion going into the election that everybody's going to cheat because you know why? The other side's already trying to. It's like we're in kindergarten. And you know what? This is, it's almost as, it's as if these people, again, the, the average politician level that I don't think are that intelligent or really that have, you know, they've got power to a degree, but aren't really in the know that they are buying their own BS to a degree, right? This is like talking about the idea of, you know, let's take any war. Like, let's take the Ukraine-Russia dynamic where suddenly they're giving them cluster munitions despite the fact that they would criticize anybody else before that for doing those because they are a war crime and saying, but it's because, you know, Russia's using them first. I mean, why do we accept that as, an, a, as a moral and intelligent and, and, you know, mature argument? They did it, so we're going to do it too? Well, you're supposed to be the one setting the tone for the rules-based international order. The argument becomes, well, they did it first, so it's okay. Like, it's just crazy how childish that is. It's the same thing that we're seeing here. That these people are already, just like with 2020 and even before that, setting the tone. That we already know Trump, we can't let Trump come back to power because he's a bad guy. Well, isn't that the whole point of democracy, that you don't get to make those kind of decisions? But we already know they did this. 2020, they put the article out, actually in 2021, saying, look what we did. This shadowy group saved democracy by basically breaking democracy. It's ridiculous. So now we're watching it happen all over again, but it's happening in every possible way, which, by the way, is just a window into what has always been happening. Every side cheats in every way that they possibly can every time. How long have I been telling you this? It's obviously proven. We've gone over the data. The point is that it just becomes a back and forth. Russia stole it for you. And then 30 seconds later, how dare you undermine the sanctity of our elections? Because Trump said something about it's just childish. And the reason I think it's important for this topic is because I think it completely dovetails with what we're seeing. The creation of the destabilization, the potential of what's happening on the border, and even just from the, the smallest dynamic ignoring any possible foreign policy discussions and just simply realizing that they want us to be at each other's throats, that they want us to take a political side. They want us to dig back into the wedge issues and forget about the larger things we're realizing today. So 
I want you to understand this because I will get more into the election conversation as it goes forward, not because I think voting has any effect on the outcome, but because I do think that these things are important and how they play into you know what later ultimately happens. So he says up here, the 2024 presidential race increasingly looks like it will be decided by lawyers, not voters, which again, just seems to be kind of like the decided reality of where we are. And both of them blame it on the other side. It says the fix is in to protect democracy. Democracy is already being canceled. And again, the idea of whether democracy is even ultimately what any free thinking person and self, you know, uh, self-represented or, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a, a government of some level of rep self-representation or I'm blanking on the term, you know, not democracy, but just the idea of like, you know, obviously the, I, I think it's obvious this country was founded as a republic, a constitutional republic. So the term democracy is in a, a manipulation in and of itself. Mob rule is ultimately what it amounts to. But the point is that we, whether we even have that is, is the obvious debate. And I don't think we do. I think that's a foregone. I mean, it's provable. We are an oligarchy at best in this country, or they are the government. But now what's interesting is the way that they've already started talking about, as they mentioned in this article, it's not just democracy anymore. We don't just protect democracy. We protect our democracy, which is not your democracy. There's an important point there. He says, we just, have admit, we just haven't admitted the implications of this to ourselves yet. On Sunday, January 14th, NBC News ran an eye-catching story. Fears grow that Trump will use the military in, quote, dictatorial ways if he returns to the White House. Don't you love ridiculous things like that? With all that's going on in the world, you write a hypothetical fear-mongering article about what he may do eventually if he were elected with the military because of just your personal opinion of who he is, which I have no strong high opinion of Donald Trump, but the idea that you're going to assume he's going to use the military to achieve, I mean, isn't that what you already do? Yes. But you see, the point is that they do it because they're the good guys in their mind. Same thing of foreign policy. We're allowed to act this way or destroy that or occupy there because we're the good guys. Hardly the reality. But this is just a smaller dynamic of the same thing. So you're using the military right now to justify all sorts of illegal actions, but Trump can't because he's a bad guy. It says it described a loose-knit network of public interest groups and lawmakers that is quote, quietly making plans to foil any efforts to expand presidential power on the part of Donald Trump. Is that sound like democracy to you? But it's okay, right? Because they're the shadowy elite secret group of good guys fighting for freedom. So we're told. The piece quoted an array of former high-ranking officials, all insisting Trump will misuse the Department of Defense to execute civilian political aims. Which you can't, it's just, that's just politicians. Since Joe Biden's team, quote, leaked, which obviously was deliberate, a strategy, a strategy memo in late December listing Trump as an existential threat to democracy. As again, the joke being that this is what we're not protecting a democracy, we're protecting their oligarchy, and they're just fighting over who will steal from you the most. It says, as campaign 2024's central talking point, which again is that Trump is the big threat. It's not going to work for Biden. He's lost everything in his desperate support for genocide. But it says surrogates have worked overtime to insert existential or democracy in quotes. This was no different. Now, again, to what I just said, in no way am I saying I believe that the voting you know, is the true outcome. You could argue there's an effect, which would then explain some of the actions that get taken. But I still don't believe it actually affects the true outcome. But it still matters. Their opinion, their orchestrated opinion through you is important. That's why they do it. So it's not to necessarily say that that is about the outcome, but really that they need you to believe that. So I do think that's a paramount objective for them. But 
You've heard these two terms constantly, haven't you? Our democracy, the existential threat. He says, like any good, and this is a quote coming from declared former CIA and defense chief Leon Panetti, Panita, like any good dictator, which is apparently a foregone assumption about Donald Trump, he's going to try and use the military to basically perform his will. Again, how in the world could you possibly know that? It's just this floated general idea. And again, isn't that what they all do? It is. I mean, you could frame it as it's in the interest of the country or it's the living embodiment of what you all collectively vote for. Hardly. We all know that's a childish fantasy and not really what's happening. They are acting in the interest of lobbyists. They're acting in the interest of Israel. But when Donald Trump steps in and does the same thing, but more transparently, apparently that's the big problem. And I think that's really what it is. But again, this is not about the outcome of the vote, but getting you to believe that somehow the person that they want to put in there would be better. But again, I'm not going to pretend I know what they want to happen. Maybe I'm wrong about voting in general, but I do think that right now it seems to make the most sense that Donald Trump is or an RFK Jr. seem like a more logical choice here. But aside from the agenda, like the individual level, like the Nancy Pelosi's and Maxine Waters of the world, I truly believe they very childishly despise this man. And so that does play into factors about you know, things that they they do have some level of power, despite, in my opinion, not truly being the ones in the know. Okay, which is not that hard to see when you look at the way these people talk or the fact that Nancy Pelosi can barely seem to mumble out her words these days, but they're still apparently in power. An article implied a, the, a future Trump presidency will necessitate new forms of external control over the military. Now, what's interesting about this is I actually think that this seems like what with the way things are working, that this might be the right, smart move, regardless of whether it's Trump or Biden. But even though I don't think Congress is actually acting in your interest, to have more voting power involved in this would probably make more sense, in my opinion. But he goes on to say it cited Connecticut Senator Richard Richard Blumenthal's bill to, quote, clarify the Insurrection Act, a 1792 law that empowers the president to deploy the military to quell domestic rebellion, which I know we all see becoming a very prominent concept because they've aimed the military at you because you're the threat today. But it says Blumenthal's act would add a requirement that Congress or courts ratify presidential decisions to deploy the military at home. Well, why wouldn't that be the case? I mean, they already ignore congressional approval for foreign wars, but it is technically required. So they'd probably just ignore it the same way here and declare an emergency. But the point is, why wouldn't they need congressional approval of all things to deploy the military at home, which seems like a much bigger deal than doing it abroad? Like, that's crazy. So I actually agree with that, but I, again, I don't think Congress cares about you. But it says seeking essentially to attach a congressional breathalyzer to the presidential steering wheel. NBC quotes from former higher-ranking defense and intelligence officials about possible preemptive mutiny were interesting on their own. Preemptive mutiny? <laughs> I mean, this is getting so abstract. I mean, again, yeah, I, can't, I can't help but attach it to the, the larger dynamics of self-preemptive self-defense and what their entire resting case is about their genocide. Like, it's really interesting, the overlaps, and I think it's just the mindset of these people. It says, however, the really striking twist was that we'd re we've read the story before. And this gets interesting. And you you remember all this stuff from before, right? The plan for the worst and hope for the best. Why law enforcement officials are worried about post-election violence about Trump. A war game exercise predicted the past few months. Like it was all about hypo hypothesizing about all the bad things after what happened from Trump, even though it was all guessing, and then acting like that was somehow justifying their secret actions to stop him because it was the interest of democracy. 
or just your personal little vendetta. It says, oh, for over a year, the Biden administration and its surrogates have dropped hint after hint, as you've seen, that the plan for winning 2024 against Donald Trump or anyone else might just involve something other than voting. But democracy, but democracy, though, but we may have to break that to win democracy, right? Because it all makes sense. Lawsuits in multiple states have been filed to remove Trump from the ballot, which we talked about already. That's un that's unprecedented. It's crazy that we that anybody ever thought that would fly. I mean, to me, that just adds if you're looking at this from an all of government manipulation level, which I believe it is, to me that simply is another way to create a guaranteed destabilized situation where they're already going to be able to accuse them no matter what happens of, you know, preemptively manipulating the election if those if those specific ballot I mean, I don't I don't know whether where they're currently at. I know multiple states are trying I believe one of them was already stopped, but I know we'll have to wait to see what the full picture is and what states truly try to stop Trump from being on the ballot. Wait until they use the Texas thing to try to do it even more. But you're already invalidating the entire election. How can you possibly argue that you can have his name not on the ballot in some places and act like that's going to be a fair election? It's crazy to me. So it seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy. But he also says primaries have been canceled, as we saw, or invalidated. How in the world that was ever accepted? Then we just choose not to. And I think it's because they all know that we see right through the primaries these days because the DNC admitted they'd never had to follow what you wanted. Hashtag democracy. And it says an ominous, an ominous Washington Post editorial by Robert Kagan, husband to senior state official Victoria Newland, read like an APB to assassins to head off an inevitable Trump dictatorship. And on January 11th of this year, leaders of a third party group called No Labels, which I hadn't even heard about sent an amazing letter to the Department of Justice complaining of a conspiracy to stop alternative votes. I'm not going to get into that part. He does talk about it in here. That's interesting, right? I think that would show more about, you know, they don't want you to see choice ultimately. They want you to see the illusion of choice. Here are your two left and right choices. And pick because lesser of evils and your vote only matters when you vote for the one that's going to win, except later we say your vote always matters. Like, I think that's interesting, but I'll have to look into the actual group if you guys have more information on them specifically, send it to me. It says three and a half years ago in June and July of 2020, an almost exactly similar series of features to the recent NBC story began appearing in media, describing another loose network of bipartisan officials. Sounds like democracy, right? Also meeting quietly to war game scenarios in case Trump loses and insists he won, which is very interesting. Now you could argue that's because we know how bad Trump is or that they knew they were cheating and that would probably happen. We'll come back to this next, but the point is this is what we're talking about. 2021, Time Magazine, a secret, the secret history of the shadowy, the shadow campaign that saved the election. And all you're going to read in here is that they, it says there was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protest and coordinated the residents from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans to manipulate the outcome. Now, that's not what they're going to say in there, but that's what they're talking about. And you read this, and it's impossible not to see that. If Trump did this and wrote an article about it, they'd put him in prison. I believe that. And that doesn't have to speak to that Trump is the good guy on your side. It just, it, there's, this is all about creating that perception to you. But I find that really ridiculous, right? It's obviously people screaming about protecting democracy while they're breaking every rule in sight, which is what they do. It says that group, which called itself the Transition Integrity Project, which you remember, we've talked about it, involved roughly 100 former officials, think tankers, and journalists who gathered to war game 
contested election scenarios. Now, this is not necessarily the exact name of the group in this discussion. That's kind of left reasonably ambiguous. This is the group that did these war game scenarios involving John Podesta to game out whether or not, you know, what happened if Trump won, which is just a bunch of children basically fantasizing about what they believe would happen, which clearly did not happen, which is ridiculous. But it says that loose network included big names like Michigan, former Michigan governor and energy and current energy sector, Jennifer Granholm and former Hillary Clinton campaign chief, John Potesta, which how in the world that person's not in prison, I will never know who is in his current role, <clears throat> excuse me, as special advisor to President Joe Biden, overseeing the handout of roughly $370 billion in clean energy investments is one of the most powerful people in Washington still. Guys, that is the unelected power structure that never goes away. We need to see that. This guy is a very creepy person that is involved with some of the craziest things that we've talked about. And un it's pretty hard to deny what we're talking. I'm not talking about the things that people haven't proven, the, the theories of videos you might have seen. <clears throat> I'm talking about things that we can prove. And the reality here is that somehow he's involved with what is clearly the biggest, like that is the $370 billion in investing in clean energy. That is the great reset angle to a degree. It says the TIP was hyped like the rollout of a blockbuster horror flick. And these titles, like in a second term, no one will hear you scream. Stories in NPR, the Financial Times, the Atlantic, the Washington Post, and over a dozen other media outlets outlined apocalyptic predictions about Trump's unwillingness to leave office and how this would likely result in mass unrest, even bloodshed. All it did was set the table for the preemptive idea that we're going to have to break the rules because this is what he'll do. Even though he did obviously argue he, that, that he was cheated, which I believe he was. I think both sides cheated, but it didn't end up the way that they said. Not because of action they took, which is because it just didn't. A typical quote from the TIP co-founder, Georgetown law professor and former Pentagon official Rosa Brooks, who told the Boston Globe that every one of the group simulations ended in chaos and violence. Whitney and I talked about this because the law is almost helpless against a president who's willing to ignore it. You mean all of them then? Okay, right. That's the, the willfully ignorant image of the fact that only Trump was like, you're literally discussing how you'll break the rules to stop a guy who is going to break the rules. And you can't realize how ridiculous that is. Podesta played Joe Biden in the TIP simulation, which we talked about. And in one round, this was the main focus for one of the things Whitney and I talked about. He refused to, to accede to, to basically allow Trump to win, threatening instead to seize a block of West, the West Coast states, including California, absurdly deemed Cascadia, and secede. Podesta's frankly, the quote, frankly ridiculous move, as one TIP participant described it, was so over the top that the player leaked it to the media and they talked about it in the New York Times, which I don't believe that last part. I think it was designed to go out. That I think I really do think that was part of this. But what's hilarious is that isn't the whole idea that they're talking about like Texas seceding? They act like that's crazy Republicans and they literally game plan how they're going to do the same with California. Everyone, they're all hypocrites. But what this ultimately came down to is that they're willing to fracture the country just because they don't want to let Trump win. News that Hillary Clinton's former campaign chief rejected a legal election result, think about because that's what ultimately we're talking about, even in a hypothetical simulation was obvious catnip to conservative media, which took about 10 minutes to repackage Smith's story using the same alarmist headlines, two-party illusion, same thing on both sides, forming mark, uh, for format marketing earlier TIP write-ups, Breitbart at the time published 
Democrats war game for election includes West Coast secession, possible civil war, which is not necessarily inaccurate. But the point is that it just shows you this kind of hyperbolic, just like we're seeing with Texas right now, partisan side of the conversation. And it's both sides. TIP authors also warned Trump's behavior could push other actions, actors, including potentially some in the Democratic Party. This is perfect to similarly engage in practices that depart from traditional rules of of laws, rule of law norms. But in their case, out of perceived self-defense. See how childish that is? So it's just because you decide that what he's doing threatens what you want. Therefore, then it becomes justified for you to do exactly what you're accusing him of. These people are ridiculous. And it's the same kind of game we're seeing in foreign policy right now. More tellingly, there were multiple passages on the subject of abiding by and or trusting in the law and how this can be a weakness. Like, you know, waxing intellectual about how the very thing you're accusing him of doing might be a weakness on our part because he's doing that. But so we'll do it. But it's okay because he did it first, and that's you know, it's just like this childish game. The authors conclude that it, that as an incumbent unbound by norms, Trump has a huge advantage. They're literally saying that his ability to do to cheat or manipulate gives him an advantage. Well, obviously, that's what cheating does, but that's why they all always do it. In the upcoming election, of course, and chided participants that that planners need to take seriously the notion that this may well be a street fight, not a legal battle. They added the key observation that a reliance on elites observing norms are not the answer. Basically saying we have to break the law to stop him from breaking the law. <clears throat> Again, realizing though that's on a time frame or at a point when they're assuming that that will happen. Not that they can see it happening. In the eight plus years of since Donald Trump entered the national political scene, we've seen the same cast of characters appear and reappear in dirty trick schemes, many of which began before he was even elected. The last time we encountered the loose knit group story, the usual suspects were all there and the public by lucky accident of the Smith leak, which I don't think was an accident, gained detailed access to the Democratic Party thinking about how to steal an election. If necessary, of course, to prevent, excuse me, to protect the democratic process. Yeah, it just makes you laugh out loud. Same point. Break the law to protect the law. That incident acquires new significance now in light, not only of this NBC story, which is about 2024 today, but also the dismal 2024 poll numbers for Biden, a host of unusual candid calls for preemptive action to prevent Trump from taking office which again, completely undermines the illusion of democracy anyway, the bold efforts to remove Trump from the ballot in states like Colorado and Maine. Remember, Biden's losing the poll numbers because of his ridiculous and ongoing support for genocide. His own party calls him Genocide Joe right now. The grim reality of campaign 2024 is that both sides appear convinced that the other will violate norms first, with Democrats in particular seeming to believe extreme advance action is needed to head off a Trump dictatorship. So look, if you're already coming out saying we need to be the first one to break the rules because we believe he will, you're the person breaking the law. You can't pretend that you know he'll do something. That's, you're not psychic. He very well may, and I believe both sides always do. But you just have to realize this is never going to correct itself. This will only continue. They'll say, you cheated. You broke the rules here. You work with China. You work with Russia. You work with Israel. Like it's all, and probably some of those are real. The point is that it will never go back to how we thought it was before because these people have desperately broken it in their own interests, which by the way, it's always been broken. And quite frankly, I think we need to do something different, but not in some kind of reimagined great reset discussion. The reality being that this is almost, this to me feels like it's designed 
to become a flash boiling point at the election, just like people are predicting. Now, interestingly enough, I did resist a little bit to the idea because it happens every year that the election won't even happen. and It's going to be a civil war. Well, this year certainly seems like they're trying to make that happen, doesn't it? And it says such elevated levels of paranoia, and I agree with him, virtually guarantee that somebody's going to cheat before Election Day in November, at which point the court of public opinion will come into play, which seems to be the only court that matters anymore. The key question will be who abandoned democracy first, which why would that be the point that your your cheating becomes OK if you cheated after they did? You see how childish this all becomes? The TIP report provided an answer. It contained long lists of theoretical Trump abuses that they made up in their head that sounded suspiciously more like the extra legal maneuvers that have already deployed, been deployed against Trump dating back to the mid-2016, particularly during the failed effort to prosecute him for the fake allegation of collusion with Russia, or rather just what they did put forward as allegations were definitely fake. Whether both sides are colluding with Russia is a different story. Intercepted by, oh, and again, the reality being as everybody rightly said at that point is the real story is Israel gate that all sides as we're all hopefully beginning to see have been aggressively influenced and com and corrupted by the Zionist entity inter it says interpreted by some as a literal plan to overturn a legal Trump victory. It's greater significance was as a historical document since it read like a year by year synopsis of all the home team rule breaking accusing them of that, which you are guilty. In other words, the TIP read like a Team Clinton playbook, only with hero and villain reversed. And I wonder if they were truly self-aware enough to recognize that's what happened. And it's hilarious. They, this is what they, uh, this is mostly the end here. They feared with Trump would commit things like this. The president's ability to launch investigations into opponents <laughs> and his ability to use Department of Justice and or intelligence agencies to cast doubt on election results or discredit his opponents. <laughs> like literally what you've been doing to him the entire time that's what that that's matt's point it's all it's almost like they have no sense of themselves but again it could just be that they're accusing them of that which they are guilty which is a common tactic but or the president and key members of his administration can also reference classified documents without releasing them manipulate classified information or selectively release classified documents for political purposes fueling manufactured rumors <laughs> like I mean, this is like a one, two, three playbook of everything they've been doing to Trump. It's hilarious. And he writes here, Podesta himself, in fact, the most, one of the most corrupt people, if not the, like, I shouldn't even say that they're all effing corrupt, but very corrupt person participated in one of the first and most damaging manufactured rumor episodes beginning in late 2016, involving the use of the Elias co uh, Commission Steele dossier to illegally obtain a FISA warrant on former Trump aide Carter Page. Podesta, who, of course, knew the real source of the story, he's a liar, rea reacted to it as if it was news generated by government investigators and publicly derided Page as a Russian cutout, knowing he was lying, before adding that the 2016 election, quote, was distorted by the Russian intervention. Lying again. Knowing they set this up. This was a textbook example of using manufactured rumors from intelligence agencies to cast doubt on election results, as you'll find. Like, literally did verbatim what they're worried Trump will do. So all that shows you is either a guilty conscience knowing he'll do it back or that they're just trying to hide behind the accusation. Additional, uh, these, these are just, uh, I think these were the important ones that I listed. Here's a funny one. There is considerable room to use foreign interference, real or invented, <laughs> as a pretext to cast doubt on the election results or more generally to create uncertainty around the legitimacy of the election. 
Like, how do you write that without going Russiagate? <laughs> That's just crazy. It says, this may have been the most amazing line in the TIP report. Given that the entire Trump presidency was marked by stories like how Russia helped swing the election for Trump. Did Russia affect the 2016 election? It's now undeniable. Read, uh, Russia turned election for Trump. Clapper believes. Yes, Russian election sabotage helped Trump win. This is Bloomberg, PBS, New Yorker, Wired. Or as his favorite, CIA director wrongly says U.S. found Russia didn't affect Russian election, election results. NBC. There was so much Russia hacked the election messaging between 2016 and 20. Matt Orfala made a great movie about it. More than one, in fact, which you should watch. It's hilarious. I think I played it before. And after Biden won, headlines like, Putin failed to mount major election interference. <laughs> it became the normal. So they're going, they're doing this and they already have and we can prove it. And then suddenly nothing happens. And they go, well, look, we stopped them somehow. And it's just the talking head media. Lastly, he says, all this is laid out as background for the coming nine months of campaign chaos, which I think is clearly engineered. If we even end up having a traditional campaign season, which that's, again, that's not necessarily to say because of the civil war. That's because they're the ones already telling you that to protect democracy, they need to break it kind of. So it's like, this is, I mean, it's just, this is, go, I, I get the strong sense that this is going to be pretty crazy. Revolt of the Public Revolt of the Public author and former CIA analyst Martin Gurry summed up the situation in a piece for the Free Press titled Trump again the question is why this is what he quote the money quotes the melody now exposed is this the elites have lost faith in their representative democracy the elitists have lost faith in their lost I can't speak the elitists I'm just rephrasing it correctly have lost faith in their illusion of democracy to smash the nightmare image of themselves that Trump invokes, evokes, they are willing to twist and force our system until it breaks. Which is that you apply that logic to anything. They are willing to burn everything down to make sure they get what they want. The implications are clear, it continues. Not only Trump, but the, the nearly 75 million Americans who voted for him must be silenced and crushed. To save democracy, it must be modified by a possessive, our democracy. Now, I, when, he, when I read that, I went, whoa, that, if you really take a step back and think, and they've done this near ubiquitously, transition to saying our democracy. They threaten our democracy. Now, you could just read that as our collective democracy, but interesting that they used to just say it's a threat to democracy, right? I think it's interesting. Now, maybe you could read that as benign, but I think that's very telling that they're now talking about their democracy, not yours, theirs, and that they need to protect it from you. Interesting. Now, he finishes by saying many who couldn't stand Trump would never vote for him and have been willing consumers of the awesome amount of propaganda published by the Trump subject on the Trump subject now need to face the fact and hear this, guys, they have been had. And quite frankly, I think the Republicans need to hear that, too, transformed into the avatar of all bad things, which I think Trump is ridiculous. I think what he, his own history shows you who he really is, and he's lying about most of what he says now in for presidential runs. But I do very also clearly think they've lied about a lot of stuff about him. They've made up all sorts of crazy things. And there are some things he does that I think he deserves credit for. Right? He's a pretty savvy person in some aspects. But to make this, like as he says, all bad things just equal Donald Trump. I mean, it's a childish manipulation. And he says the, this vision of the uber villain Trump has been used to distract mass audiences from the erosion of norms at home. And there it is, the two-party illusion used to distract the fact that your government as a whole 
are removing your rights. Quote, protecting democracy in the in the Trump context will be remembered as having served the same purpose as Saddam's mythical WMDs, the shots fired at the Gulf of Tonkin, or Gaddafi's fictional Viagra-enhanced army. Those were carefully crafted political lies used to rally the public behind illegal campaigns of preemption. That's a great article. I mean, it really is. Like, we need to recognize how clearly this is happening and that it applies to everybody. Because your government doesn't care about you. And again, read this if you want to go back to the first one and show you that they're, they've done it already. Now, bringing this over to a couple points about foreign policy that I think are related, Arnad, Arnaud Batrand writes about this New York Times article, which is entitled, China is trying to have it both ways in the Middle East. You're going to laugh about this. The New York Times article is mind-blowing and illustrates, he writes, the insane extent to which America has escaped reality. I would more so argue the corporate media and their, you know, the oligarchy. But it says they literally blame China, of all countries, for the Middle East crisis. That's not a joke. Writing that the deteriorating security situation in the Middle East, predominantly Gaza, you know, Lebanon, Syria, and the whole, everything connected to it, shows, they write, how ineffectual Mr. Xi's promotion of peace and tranquility has been. And it's coming back to bite China. Are you serious? I got this to me, just like the next point we'll show you about Russia somehow being responsible for protesters for Palestine, is about the election. It's just about the same old hype that we get every time. Russia and China or Iran or whoever they want to float to get you to line up with what they want you to do. Now, apparently, it's China's fault that there's chaos in the Middle East. Not Israel's, not the United States. Of course not. It's all bad guy China which in no way am I saying they're good guy either. I think all these governments are out to manipulate you. It says, when everyone who lives in the real world understands that the root of the current issue is obviously Israel's decades-long occupation and progressive annexation of Palestinian land with full U.S. backing. And the detonator of the crisis was the Biden administration's efforts to normalize relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia by sidestepping the Palestinian issue. That's his opinion. That was a factor, I argue. I agree. The Palestinians were effectively put in a position where, in the words of Ami Ayalon, former head of the Shin Bet, they felt alone and abandoned. And as a result, chose the Samson option because they felt that, they, remember, that's an Israeli t- discussion. It's a real thing about should they lose control, they'll nuke everything that's real. doesn't mean they'll do it, but it's a real, it's a real option they have outlined in, the, in the, their you know, documents. It says, because they felt that they had nothing to lose and that this was the only way for them to show the world, you will not be able to create stability in the region if you will bypass the Palestinians. China did undertake its own normalization efforts between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and this occurred without a hitch entirely peaceful and has held sense so much so that both countries just joined the BRICS together. So the fact is China did improve peace and stability in the region. If you agree with that, reconciling the two historic enemies of the region was no mean, mean feat. Whilst America managed to trigger yet another major war in the middle East, creating untold human suffering and dramatic and, and uh, dramatic region wide repercussions, as we can see with Yemen, the contrast between both countries respect respective impact on the region just couldn't be starker, more obvious. So you can read the rest of it. The point is just how hilarious it is that they want you to believe that they're, China's responsible. Now here is Pelosi. Again, you're going to laugh at how she can barely speak. As, as Patrick Henningsen, who you who should follow, oh, I'm pretty sure I shared that, who you should follow, 21st Century Wire, doing great work. He writes, pure fascism in defense of genocide. The deranged 
Pelosi, Zionist Pelosi, is now claiming that pro-Palestine protesters are simply Russian plants that need to be investigated by the FBI. Talk about unconstitutional, un-American even. Like, it, it's just so crazy how they can say these things with zero evidence. That's, that sounds like Maxine Waters, the same thing. It's Putin puppets with nothing to back it up. My point is Russia, China, it's everybody else's fault for your own problems. In front of my house all the time. So I, I, I have a feeling for what feelings they have. But we have to think about what we're doing. I have a feeling about the feelings they have. <laughs> she just stumbles through her statements. Doesn't even make sense half the time. And this is a person with power enough to make things change in your life. That's crazy. And what we have to do is try to stop the suffering and gossip. This is women and children, people who don't have a place to go. So let's address that. But for them to call for a ceasefire is Mr. Putin's message. Mr. Putin's message. Make no mistake, this is directly connected to what he would like to see. Same thing with Ukraine. It's about Putin's message. I mean, think about how delusional that is. I mean, obviously it's possible, but how you're just basically broad stroking literally anybody calling for a ceasefire is Putin's message. It's the same thing they pulled before. Just because something is like, obviously Putin has spoken up and said ceasefire is justified. So have a lot of people in the world. Does that mean that's their message or it just means that we also agree that there should obviously be a ceasefire to stop a genocide that the world court ruled is merit, has merit, that they are doing that. It just becomes a, 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 a like lowest common denominator. Pick the guy you don't like and say it's his fault and then everything gets cast off to him and you have no responsibility anymore. I don't think anybody buys this anymore. I think some of these, some of these protesters are spontaneous and organic and sincere some, I think, are connected uh, to Russia. And I say that having looked at this for a long time now. As you you know, think some like, of these protests are Russian plants? These are plants. I think some financing should be investigated. And I want to ask the, the uh, uh, FBI to investigate that. Now, you, you see, this is the guilty mind. Because they are actively, at every turn, funding illegal protests overseas to justify their regime change. So when she sees that, that's probably just what she sees everywhere. Shadows at every corner. Because these are terrible, dangerous, manipulative people. I think that's the case. Either way, the point is, it's absurd to make that allegation. Oh, because Nancy Pelosi's been following it a long time? <laughs> Hardly. She has no idea what's going on. And that's just, it's just a self-serving point. Now, lastly. These are Orwell sent me these today. These are two statements that came out from both the White House and Trump himself. So Biden and Trump. And what it's saying, and I'll may, I may talk about this more tomorrow, is has to do with the fact that there were American soldiers, we're told, that were killed in Jordan. Today, America's heart is heavy. Last night, three U.S. service members were killed and many wounded during an unmanned aerial drone attack on our forces stationed in northeast Jordan near the Syria border. While we are still gathering the facts, this attack, we know, we know it was carried out by radical Iran-backed militants. I'm sure you definitely know that, do you? Groups operating in Syria and Iraq. Well, look, the point is, you are and have been de facto at war with these groups for a very long time. You're illegally occupying Syria and Iraq. And the question becomes to the average person, why in the hell are there American troops in Jordan? Either way, anybody dying, as I've always said, we should have reverence for life. That's a sad thing to happen for anybody. But the point is, you're talking about military who are being deployed in an area where they're occupying multiple countries. You're currently at war. Like at this point, we need to realize, based on the international court, 
based on numerous countries who have made this point. Biden and the U.S. government, because of it and his administration, are not just complicit in genocide. They are taking part in this. So you are an active part of this war. And that's what they're now saying at the very least. And it's hard not to see that. So that then makes you and your military active targets. Now, of course, this is not to say that I want that or I'm relishing in anything. It's just a static reality. We have to be able to talk about these things and we have to be able to acknowledge the illegality of most of the presence of the U.S. government around the world. So when this happens, you, you, it's, the point is that they're, they're going to turn this into terrorism, as they say down here, the unflinching in our duty, unbending in our commitment, risking their own safety. And where was it? Uh, yeah, it, the, in the grieving loss of these warriors, and this despicable and wholly unjust attack. Like, how in the world are you going to call it an unjust attack when you're talking about occupying entities? In, in really, the, the, the idea being that you have declared war on Yemen, on Gaza, on Syria, on Iraq, on Afghanistan, on Venezuela, and all these different countries that you've been actively sanctioning and also attacking. And then when they fight back, you freak out and call terrorism. It just seems, it, again, all of this is losing its power. It says, yeah, again, in, in, again the fight against terrorism. You guys are the ones funding the most radical elements of the very thing you claim you're fighting. So I don't take that at face value. Trump, of course, said the same thing to a degree. The drone attack, killing three servicemen. It, basically, his point was exactly Joe Biden's points, but this wouldn't have happened if I was president, which is always his go-to point. Maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. Hard, I hardly think he would have stopped it. I think Biden, Trump would have been doing the same thing. He would have been lockstop with Israel just like he was before. And that means they would have done the same thing because the presence would have already been there because Trump would have been doing the same foreign policy things. Either way, what does it show you? Apparently, from no matter what side of the two-party illusion, we go to war. <laughs> or they push it forward, which, by the way, anybody paying attention already knows. Because war is the one thing they all can get behind. Now, before we get into the UNRWA discussion and back to a point of foreign policy to a degree, I wanted to talk about this really quickly. And again, talking about the artificial intelligence overlap, I found this very interesting. And I didn't want this to slip away because I know if I put it aside, it probably won't end up getting talked about. I actually forget off the top of my head who sent this to me, and I apologize for that because it, it, it's really interesting. Thank you for who sent it. This is, an art, this is from five days ago, Fox 26 in Houston. Texas, interestingly enough. Grandfather suing Sunglass Hut. Macy's following arrest. Weird title that doesn't even begin to get into what actually happened. So check this out. This person was arrested in a different state because he went to the DMV and an artificial intelligence somewhere else told him that that, that was the guy. So they arrested him in prison. He was beat up and raped. And it turns out he wasn't even the guy. And he's been released. So now they're suing. But if we can't recognize how alarming that is, that you can be put in prison with the consequences that come along with that. And on a quick side note, frankly, I think they maintain that kind of terrifying prison idea because it then is, it's a tool to coerce you, right? You go against the government, we'll find a way to put you in there and you'll get raped. Like, I think that's a part of why that's maintained. You, know, you realize that they could make that not happen, like to a degree. But if you, like, I've known people who are prison guards. I know people that are inside who know the dynamic and it is horrifying. The kind of things that are allowed, the prison guards involved with allowing and trafficking themselves. Like if they really wanted to crack down on that, they could. But it keeps, if there's a financial element to it, but also that I really think it's about keeping you scared of not just being your freedom being removed, but what will happen in the process. But the fact that this could be artificial intelligence and they would blindly follow that, knowing there's a level of, of discrepancy there, put this guy in prison for it. This is your future if we don't stop where this is going. 
Father is suing the parent companies of Macy's and Sunglass Hut after he was wrongfully accused and arrested for robbery in Harris County in 2022. But that's just where the story begins. Fox 26's Anthony Antoine spoke with the victim's lawyer. He joins us now with those details. Anthony. Well, faulty facial recognition software is at the heart of this case. 61-year-old Harvey Eugene Murphy Jr., a grandfather, was taken to jail because the technology pinned him as the primary suspect for that robbery. But according to the law, suit he was taken to jail and in a matter of hours he was beaten raped and then released and now years later he's suing on january 22nd 2022 this sunglass hut on west gray in houston was robbed by two armed men the employees inside were threatened at gunpoint and taken to the back of the store while the suspect stole money and several pairs of glasses sunglass hut may not have access to facial recognition software and so the documents show that they took the video to Macy's, who then used his features to determine that he was the one that had robbed the Macy's before and identified him as Mr. Murphy and told Sunglass Hut. Daniel Duco, the lawyer for 61-year-old Harvey Eugene Murphy Jr., who is from Houston, says his client was in California at the time of the crime. Murphy Jr. eventually moved back to Texas for work in October of 2023. And he goes to the DMV to get his driver's license renewed, and the police officer comes from around the counter and puts handcuffs on him and arrests him. And that was the... Think about how terrifying that is. Right. You're, you're just you're you're accused. You're like, our AI knows you're a guy. And you're like, that's not me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we know. And they arrest you. And of course, what happens in prison? That's horrible. But the idea that that it, like the fact that Sunglass Hut takes it to Macy's and is like, use your technology like they don't even I argue they don't even really understand what they're doing. And ultimately, like that Macy's AI recognition, we're going to believe what they're talking about. It just seems so alarming to me. And that this is just the beginning of this. Imagine we get to a point to where you're not allowed to push back against what the AI knows better about. Beginning of a life-changing ordeal, Murphy was taken to jail for multiple felony warrants for the robbery at the Sunglass Hut. Court documents suggest the store employee was also prepped by the company and identified Murphy as the robber. With wow, think about that. So now either in an interest of trying to hide that you're wrong or just to not have to go through whatever else comes after it turns out that you're wrong, that you are basically coached to say it was him, even though you can prove that it's not. That happens all the time. It's happening all over the place in Israel right now. All sorts of IDF are lying about all sorts of things because they're being put to it. The point is authority lies. That's something we need to understand. Facial recognition playing a key role in his arrest. Murphy gave officers his alibi. It checked out, and he was told he would be released. While he was being held in jail, he was going to use the restroom. He was beaten, sexually assaulted, raped. Because of the nature of the alleged crime, lawyers say Murphy Jr. was put alongside violent criminals. Three men followed him to the bathroom and raped him with... What, because he stole sunglasses, allegedly? Really? And this is a detention center. This isn't even like a full prison. And that's allowed to happen? My God, that's crazy. With a shank pressed against his neck, he was released and the case was dismissed. He is now suing the parent company of Sunglass Hut and Macy's for using the facial recognition software that led to his false imprisonment. The dangers of using this technology is also outlined in court documents. I know for a fact that studies have showed that African Americans have a high rate of false positives based on facial recognition software. Whitney and I talked about this, and it's way higher than they tell you. Like the reality being the false positives of this is ridiculous, and yet they still utilize it. Whitney's talked about that many times. 
I also know comparing people who are older with pictures of them, of other people when younger. So age gaps have a very high rate, up to 90% of wow. false positives. According to his lawyer, Murphy has longstanding physical and psychological injuries, and he is now coming forward to raise awareness and hopefully prevent this from happening to someone else. My God, that's just so terrifying. Now, interestingly enough, yesterday, guess what happened? You probably saw this because apparently Taylor Swift just like overtakes anything media related when she, her name is everywhere. Fake explicit Taylor Swift images. Who didn't see this coming? My point is how in the world has this not happened yet? So these are AI created fake sexual images of Taylor Swift. Now to a degree, we've seen stuff like that in the past, but this is a huge person. Now it's in the conversation because it's Taylor Swift. And guess what? Quote, the White House is alarmed. Why are you suddenly alarmed? It's been going on a long time. There's been deep fakes. There's been fake images. People do this in high school to people. <laughs> Suddenly, you're alarmed. I don't buy it. I think this is yet again a worse. How long? I've said it many years, but this year feels like the year of the deep fake. Like something, as I, I said this, I think six months ago, coming into the election year, that we're going to see, in my opinion, either a something like this, but with somebody in the political sphere, where either there's a person who is caught, who then pretends it's a deep fake, to try to get away from being guilty or somebody who was genuinely accused of something with a deep fake that didn't really happen, but on a large real scale. And I think this is what, I mean, how that hasn't happened is blowing my mind. And now all of a sudden the white house is alarmed. Millions came across fake sexually explicit AI generated images of Taylor Swift on social media. And now they're concerned about AI technology. Obviously that's always been there. I think this is just about setting up the setting the table for for the discussion around how you know you could undermine things that are real or you could put out that basically it makes everything questionable all the time, which in a way we should be questioning everything, obviously, right? But in the sense that what we're talking about here is not that we can find it out for ourselves, but that you have to trust the authority. Right? Because you can't figure these things out. Deep fakes are technological. You have to listen to what the authority says is real and false. It ultimately becomes they're back in the position of deciding what is real and not all the time. That's where I feel like this goes. And a lot of much more alarming things that will take much longer to talk about. Now, uh, Bread and Circus points out, AI, the same point, deep fakes, White House calls for legislation to fix the problem. Exactly my point. So now it becomes, we're going to call for legislation to dictate, you know, basically we're going to have to get your personal ID to go on social media. We have to scan your posts before they go up to verify whether they're real. It's all, it's the same stuff they're trying to do, regardless of whether Taylor Swift had images like that. It's problem reaction solution, whether it's a real thing or not. I agree with him. Oh, and interestingly enough, apparently Taylor Swift is not searchable on the platform. Like they restricted it because of that. But at the same time, I'll be honest, I get that every time, all the time right now on my phone. Ever since the new shift, if I search on my phone for anything, that's what I get. I don't even want to get into all the dumb stuff that happens to me on Twitter where, you know, I still can't see the full tweets when I'm on my phone, even though I am the blue check, whatever. It's just, it's just so convoluted, ridiculous. They're so focused on manipulating the, what you think that they just don't half the time don't seem to care. Now, one last point on AI, and then we'll get into the foreign policy conversation of both just Israel in general, but also the UNRWA conversation. Concerned Citizen shared this on the 23rd. And it is really terrifying to think about the way this future is going, especially in places like in Gaza or war fields out there that we don't as Americans or any population of the governments fighting the war truly understand or see. 
because you don't get these things don't make their way in front of you. Well, I th- what's interesting is a little bit on Ukraine, but more specifically with Palestine, we've never seen it like this before, where your social media is controlling this, where there's so much real time information from people on the ground that they just can't control. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we see stuff like this to try to get ahead of that and control what we're allowed to post. But here, as he writes, soldier gets chased with a drone, like a like a suicide drone. Modern warfare is truly terrifying. I agree. This is crazy. And think about this in a way with the swarm technology, the idea that these are going to be more and more what we see, or even just the ones that will potentially and likely going to be controlling and enforcing your pedestrian streets. That's terrifying. So that, you know, that, that it's just hunting you down and he's running from it and it just hits him and explodes for the podcast, a, a drone, you know, and it just shows you this kind of Terminator level future that we're goose stepping into and people aren't most aren't paying attention. As somebody says in the chat, you know, only a moron would have believed those Taylor Swift images were real. And quite frankly, I think that even adds more to the point, right? That they, that it's not something, you know, they don't, I argue they don't really want you to know the level that we'll never be able to tell. That they could make videos and images of real-time stuff that you'll just never be able to tell. I argue before that they've altered, altered historical videos and things that we, you know, slightly change certain facts or omit certain characters. How would we ever know? It's very Orwellian, and I think we've been there for a long time. So it's really about creating the Taylor Swift problem to just justify what they're going to do next, but using things like, you know, that are very clear to see. Now, going past the AI conversation, let's talk about Israel. Specifically, a couple things, the ICJ, the rulings past that, and largely the accusation that you know, the Palestinian refugee agency is Hamas, which, in my opinion, has been verifiably shown to be an operation. But that doesn't always necessarily mean that there's not some level of truth to it. We'll get into all that. I'll give you my opinion as well. Here's what Caitlin Johnstone said. Uh, this was today. I, I often really like her take from a large, you know, kind of high elevation discussion. And this is something that is meant to be contentious. And I frankly, well, I agree with almost everything except this specific first line, because I do care in any sense. And I would argue she does too. She's just trying to make a point. She says, don't talk to me about October 7th. Don't talk to me about hostages. I don't care. See my point, and you'll see what she means. She goes forward. My point is, I, I do. I care about anybody, a human being who is suffering, and I don't think these hostages who are taken are necessarily part of some grand plan. They're people that are suffering, and they're quickly realizing their government doesn't care about them, even more so, are trying to kill them. But she goes on to say, don't talk to me about these things. October 7th hostage, I don't care. I haven't cared for months. Many, many times more Gazans are dying and suffering than the number of Israelis who died and are suffering. That means the death and suffering of Palestinians is much more urgent and matters much more than the death and suffering of Israelis in that context, not in general. The only way to disagree with that is to believe Israeli lives are worth much, much more than Palestinian lives. It's hard not to see that point. She's not saying in any general, in any constant sense, just saying in this October 7th post October 7th point. If we can clearly see, which we can, the level to which 30,000 plus people have been killed compared to what they say is 1,200 over here, well, it's just a benign static or just a static obvious thing. This, they're suffering much more right over here. 
So that one would arguably matter more unless you think that only one side lives matter. It's pretty clear to me. The longer she says the mass atrocity in Gaza goes on, and I've said something similar to this for the, for the less tragic and worthy of sympathy, October 7th becomes right. So the more they continue to commit genocide and the larger that number rises, the, the less impactful what they say happened on October 7th becomes. And I, I said that right in the beginning. They did this to themselves. If they had gone right to the UN immediately, they, ev- they would have never had to ask for support ever again. It says it's already been a diminished October 7th to a fraction of the significance it once had, and it's getting smaller and smaller as this nightmare stretches on. This is not the fault of the people like her, she says, or me, she's talking about herself. It is the fault of the people conducting the genocide. You don't get to murder tens of thousands of people and then demand everyone weep over you losing a thousand. That's not a thing. It's so effing obnoxious, she says, how Israel supporters keep acting like actions a tiny fraction as impactful as what's been happening in Gaza are where all our sympathies and attention should be going. Nearly four months after the fact, she says, F all the way off with that idiotic BS. My point is the same. I've said from the whole time, like from the beginning. There were people like us that said, obviously, we care about human life in any sense. So the Israeli hostages and the the crimes that were committed, we are concerned about that. And these people should be held accountable. And then as that continued forward, the point was, but we also care about the Palestinian lives. And that outraged the Israelis, the politicians, for the most part, that said, how dare you? And they redirected you back to one side, acting like we were the bad one for caring about both. It was always this transparent. It says all of Israel's actions on, since October 7th have revealed why Hamas did what it did on October 7th. Now, again, that, that is not including the possibility that there was some level of foreknowledge and there was clearly Israel has been funding Hamas for a long time to create the very destabilization they used to justify not allowing a state. So that's something we have to include too. She says this is the kind of murderous and de- the murderousness and depravity Palestinians have been living under from the Nakba on the original 1948 ethnic cleansing. Israel is so murderous and depraved that one of the most common talking points of its apologists when responding to opposition to the atrocities in Gaza has been, yeah, what did Hamas expect would happen? F around and find out. That's not a sane or acceptable way for human beings to talk about acts of genocide and the butchery of thousands of children. Remember, 117 every day, one every 15 minutes. But Israel apologists think it's normal because That's what Israel is. That's her statement. And I generally agree with that, but I don't think it counts to everybody. There's plenty of people in Israel pushing back, but I agree. That's what their government has created there. Just like we talk about in the U.S. In the eyes of the world, she says, Israel has retroactively legitimized the acts of violence the Palestinian resistance has been inflicting upon it. It has legitimized those acts by showing the world its true face. Kind of hard to disagree with that. I think she nailed it. Now, Robert put up a great article today. Will the ICJ ruling against Israel be a win for Gaza? There's a lot of great points in there about where this can go. It's, you know, reading the future. Make sure you read it. did a great job. Now, speaking of the ICJ, let's not forget, I played the video for you yesterday. It's in the show notes from yesterday's show of Hamas basically saying, look, we will abide by whatever the ICJ does. We will abide by a ceasefire, assuming the other party does too. The complete opposite of what Israel's saying. Of course, you could argue they're lying. It seemed everything we've been seeing so far seemed to suggest the opposite. But again, the same point they make about Russia often, it doesn't have to mean that they are this entity that's doing the right thing. It's that's by action in some cases, what it seems they're trying to put forward, but it could just be that they recognize playing that role 
is winning the public opinion battle. Now, I'm not sure where I stand in that because I know there's so there's such a convoluted dynamic with Hamas. The funding from Israel, the fact that there's a U.S. aspect to this, or the fact that their leadership is elsewhere. And, you know, it's hard to see what's ultimately happening and what's changed if it's now only fighting for the resistance or if there's still a re- remnants of people that are, in, are working on the behalf of Israel. So it's all convoluted. But my point, nonetheless, is that the action they're taking you have to acknowledge or releasing people that have not been harmed, feeding them, keeping them, giving them medical care. I mean, but again, they did kidnap civilians and they did kill civilians. Those are crimes beyond question. And no matter what ultimately happens, they should be held accountable for that. But he says, interesting, top Hamas leaders declare Hamas stands ready to appear before the International Criminal Court and bear the burden of any judicial finding against it or its members after a full and fair trial is, is, is Israel. He says Israel rejected the ICC probe, calling it anti-Semitic. He says there's a simple way to establish what did or did not happen on October 7th. A trial. Is Israel willing to proceed from rhetoric to evidence and to pursue justice in such a proceeding and bear the consequences, whatever they may be? We are. That's what he said. I kind of find that really hard not to see as an obvious example that at the very least, whether you think they're a terrorist organization or not, that we and we have proven to a large degree that what Israel said happened on that day are a bunch of lies. Not all of it, but most of it, I can tell. That very well may be that they are calling for a court to seal this because they know the evidence backs what they did. Very interesting. Israel's not going to abide by that. Of course, no matter what happens, they'll just say the court's anti-Semitic and that's why they ruled this way, which is just, it's not holding water anymore. So I find that really important that Hamas is basically calling their bluff and saying, we'll stand before the court. Let's bring it all to the table. All you're going to show is your propaganda videos and your suggestive allegations and your forceful narratives that to this very day have been shown to be lies in many cases where other journalists like Owen Jones from The Guardian have come out of those special rooms and said, that didn't prove anything. They're lying. The question is, is Hamas genuine in what they're saying here or is this a very well-placed tactic? Either way, I think it exposes Israel. Here's Mossad. By the way, again, Mossad just recently posted in support of the people blocking aid, which, by the way, I think it's five days in a row now. Israelis individually have been blocking, which means somebody's letting them in there, by the way, which means their own Israeli government is letting them, which, again, is proven by Mossad going, good job, guys, keep it up. And then they speak up and say, we're not blocking aid. You're crazy. (laughs) But here is Mossad saying Prime Minister Netanyahu attacks the International Court of Justice in the Hague, the World Court. Quote, our fighters found Hitler's book in the homes. They're getting desperate and more desperate by the day. Now, look, he's holding a book that was not the same book that was being held by by Herzog, the president, even though they're referencing the same story. So is that just a prop like Netanyahu is known for doing? Or is it a lot? I mean, the point was how absurd it was to argue that you're going to go through these homes and you're going to find a a, a Mein Kampf book on a, a, a desk, it's, you know, it's just so ridiculous to me. Certainly possible. But on top of that, what did they actually say? They said this was Hamas that had this, not the people of, Pal- of Palestine. But now it's shifted to some broad sentiment about how they're just all bad guys there. It says, the, it says uh, South Africa came to The Hague in the name of the new Nazis. The very willingness of the court to discuss the request against Israel proves that many in the world have learned nothing from the Holocaust. I mean, it's just like one, two, three. You're racist, you hate Jews, Holocaust, every single time. And what we're pointing at here is now not at Hamas, because you realize what they're saying is, 
in the homes of Gazans, and then going on to say the new Nazis. So he basically trapped himself in his own rhetoric by making it clear that they think all the Palestinians are the problem. Which, by the way, is not hard to recognize. Which we'll, I'll show you something. I think it's over here in a minute. Let me see if I have it already pulled up. Otherwise, I'll wait. Basically, this is her admitting, or I mean, claiming that every single home, this is the ambassador to the UK for Israel, that every single home, every one of them in Israel, in, in Gaza, where is it right here? Yeah, have access to tunnels. Every mosque, every house. Okay, so what you're saying, which by the way is provably false, is that every single house and every single mosque is a, is a valid threat or a valid target, which we know by their actions, they're doing that. So think about how gross and disgusting that is. They're rationalizing collective punishment, mass displacement and destabilization, and you know just leveling everything they have, all infrastructure. And his argument is, we found a Nazi book, so they're all Nazis. And that, that means that you haven't learned your lesson from the Holocaust while you're committing genocide. Somebody sure hasn't, but it's not them. Now, here is an interesting point on that very note. Here is a video that was made and sent to Biden about basically, yeah, I was trying to think of a way to not say it, but the point is that they're, they're, they're saying that Israel's committing genocide and that Biden doesn't care. These are descendants of people who survived the Holocaust. So these are Jews whose family died in the Holocaust. And they're all speaking up and saying Israel's committing genocide. So just think about how absurd it is. They keep taking this stance while it seems increasingly that not even their own people of Israel are backing what he's doing and are now beginning to recognize that the same point they're saying here, that never again means for everybody. But that's not what, Biden, that's not what Netanyahu or Biden are saying. As Nazis dehumanized our people. Calling them a dangerous threat. Evil. Vermin. Our families were rounded up, starved, tortured, murdered, burned, and buried in mass graves. Ordinary people chose silence, looking away. We understand that the world allowed these horrors to take place. And that we must act to ensure that this can never happen again. To anyone. Uh Really quickly, let's not forget, by the way, talking about World War II scenarios that the U.S. government, the intelligence apparatus, and the U.K. for that matter, there was overlap there with what was happening. They were aware. There was funding from high-level families on both sides of the war. We also know that the Lehigh Party, an offshoot of the Ergon Party, which is the, or the origin of Zionism, multiple times tried to align itself with Nazi Germany, even after this began. As Zionists claiming they were trying to make a state for the Jews while they're supporting and trying to align themselves with a person who was literally murdering Jews. I don't know how we can't understand that that means that Zionism is manipulating literally everything. But just recognize that going back even then, the, 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 the United States government and these larger powers were complicit, just like they are today. Which That's why it shouldn't surprise you. Which also probably explains why they took all of the Nazi scientists, which became NASA, Operation Paperclip as well as the terrible things that happened in Japan. They just absorbed all the worst of it and act like they've stopped everything. No, they continued it all. That's why today... ...understand that the world allowed these horrors to take place. And that we must act to ensure that this can never happen again. To anyone. That's why today, President Biden... On International Holocaust Remembrance Day... We are addressing you directly. 
the lesson of the Holocaust is never again for anyone. You have enabled and facilitated the Israeli government's genocide of Palestinians. And it must stop now. We have seen this before. A whole people demonized, targeted for slaughter. Families dying under rubble, pregnant women starved. Human beings tagged with numbers. Mass graves and piles of bodies. Children who watched their whole families annihilated. Men stripped naked or shot in the street. The Israeli government is committing genocide against Palestinians. You have responded by sending more weapons into their hands. As descendants of those who survived the Holocaust, we demand that you end your complicity. Never again is now. We will spend this day of remembrance fighting to stop the genocide of Palestinians. It's interesting. Now, you know, the point really being, despite what you may have think about the historical context, that these are people who believe their family members were, were killed in the Holocaust. We're now speaking up and saying that Israel's doing the same thing. That has to have some power for certain people out there. Now, on top of that, realizing that it seems there, if I mean, if there's literally any support other than rabid Zionists in the world for what Israel's doing, I, I, I quite frankly see it diminishing on a, on a day-by-day scale. Here's what I think most of it's coming from. Here, This is Solomon Ahmad saying Israelis are using apps to create automated responses against real Palestinian posters, on, like on platforms. Here's the actual post. Growing number of apps help automate pro-Israel activism. And of course, they frame it as citizen-led propaganda. It's hardly citizen-led when they're being told what to say. It's clearly something else, which it's, I don't need to even explain it. This is from, of course, Taylor Lorenz, 20, January 25th. Supporters of Israel are making use of tools that allow them to mass report pro-Palestinian content, which, of course, the Twitters of the world are happily allowing only in one direction. The tools also generate AI-written suggested responses to posts online, allowing users to flood the comments of pro-Palestinian posts with pro-Israel messaging. Sounds super organic and natural. Everything that the Twitter platform says they've stopped, which they really haven't. Experts who study communication online say the widespread use of such tools influences the online discussion of war. Yeah, you think? But the use of the tools does not appear to violate platform rules against what's known as coordinated inauthentic behavior. How can you even say that? Or posts that appear to come from unrelated individuals but are really the result of an organized effort, often through automated accounts. Like, just because these are not mass or, you know, you're individually being led by an individual, like, this This is in exactly coordinated inauthentic behavior. That's what it is. Beyond question. I think that was it. I just think that's incredible. So the point being that as they're diminishing support, I think what we're seeing is both bot accounts, but also utilizing these kind of central assets. That's why, again, which I'll come to later, I think somewhere over here, that you're going to see these like same responses from the same people pop up over and over. I don't think it was it over here. Dang it. It's over here somewhere. I'll go back to all of this. Now I have to find it right here. So my point here is that like, we're going to get into the UNRWA point, but I just showed you this yesterday, David Eli. Oh, this is Hamas, even though that's a police officer and you can literally see it says police on his, on his, on his shirt. We'll get to that. But here's Elon Levy next day doing exactly the same thing. They just post the same things. And I bet you Hen Mazig said the exact same thing. I bet you, you know what, David Collier, I think his name, they just post the same identical things with the same sentiment, with the same meaning. I think we know why. 
Now, here is Sir Chilibean saying Israel, absurdly enough, is about to file a, a, a lawsuit against Iran at the International Court of Justice. <laughs> I mean, think about the absurdity of that. As they are just, as they've just blatantly said, we don't care what you're saying. We're not going to do what you're asking, even though it's legally binding and it's the world court. Nope, we don't care. But in the meantime, we're going to file this against Iran. And if you don't do it, then we're going to call you racist. Isn't that exactly what would be this? I mark my words. It says Israeli minister Saar says he's working to file a case against Iran. Experts believe the case will be a nothing burger as Israel has no evidence whatsoever. The allegation that Iran is behind all the things that are happening is a flimsy association at best. And it certainly could be the case, but they don't have any evidence because you have seen it by now. And I know they don't because I've talked about this for a very long time. I frankly don't think there is any specific like like I do know that there is alliances both ideologically and just in the defense of the against the occupiers. But re but realistically, whether this is like a controlled entity by Iran, I don't think that's the case. And even then, whether there's like direct weapon shipments to some of these locations, I think that's hard to tell too. I know that there is a, an alignment with Syria where they're, they're allies and they're, there's no reason they shouldn't be allowed to, or any of them for that matter. They just label every entity they dislike as terrorist and they claim that funding them is a terrorist act. It's just this game they play. Hezbollah, Hamas, the, the Ansarallah movement. But here he says he's going to start the work on filing the case against Iran at the ICJ. Cabinet Minister Saar says he will begin working on having Israel file a case against Iran, pointing out like the hypocrisy is overwhelming pointing out that Iranian leaders have called for Israel's destruction. No, they in fact haven't. They've called for the end of the Israeli Zionist entity, not the same thing, and that Iran gives strong backing to Hamas and other Gaza terror groups, which you could say all day long, but you can't prove. So that's the, the basis for their case. Now, when they present this flimsy, you know, allegation-based account, and that gets dismissed, they'll call them all racist, I promise. And they'll act like that proves something. But the, here, the interesting point about it is, do you not realize what they just said? So are you are you claiming that because Iran calls for the destruction of the air, of your country that that amounts to genocide? That you think that proves something? Well, if it does, then you're guilty. Because you're the one claiming that, well, they all said it, but that's not official. Even though we can prove Netanyahu and pretty much every member of the actual Security Council has publicly called for literally genocide. So all you're really doing is backhandedly admitting that it only applies when it's the guys you don't like. Think about how absurd that is. Like, this deserves to be laughed about. Numerous experts in international law, which I'm sure numerous, like two that they are, you know, Israelis or something like that. But the fact is that obviously the vast, vast, near extreme majority have all agreed that what they're doing is genocide. I mean, every group and every human rights group and most every international lawyer and human rights lawyer, they've all spoken up. Of course, a few they spoke to said that the massacres and other crimes carried out by Hamas just on October 7th, likely constitute genocidal acts. Why? Since they appear to have been aiming to destroy, in whole or in part, a national group. So again, first of all, that's your assent, your opinion. Nobody stated out loud that they were doing this to kill. They stated they were doing it to get hostages to be able to exchange for the Palestinians that were kept in their prisons. You then said, they hate Jews. They did this to destroy us. Nowhere is there any evidence other than Israelis saying that's what they were doing. That's not going to hold up in court. And there, and so, but still, let's just say they did say that. You're again proving that you're guilty of genocide by that very statement. Because every day you hear allegations about you occupying Gaza, displacing everybody in Gaza, and ethnically cleansing all of them. 
removing all of them because they're all part of the problem. I mean, it's just so transparent. It says there are public statements by senior Iranian officials, they claim, in favor of destroying Israel. Well, probably, or really when you read into it, as I've said, they're very careful with what they say, that it's about destroying the Zionist entity that they conflate with Israel. It's not the same thing. That's like saying destroying the U.S. government versus destroying America or the United States. They're two different things, but they love to conflate themselves with it because they, they make everything you, you know, connect with freedom and democracy and your rights, that that's what they are. They're not. They're just a, a grouping of people that are actually citizens unless they're in that position that are supposed to be under your control. But in any case, public statements of Iranian officials in favor of destroying Israel. Do you realize there's like a, law, a list of like hundreds of public statements by Israeli officials openly calling for the destruction of all of Palestine? So again, you guys are just, it's, it's just, again, it's almost a joke. Do they not realize, or maybe they don't actually realize, they have no sense of themselves. Iran finances, they say, arms and trains all, all the jihadi terrorist organizations, including Hamas, Islamic Jihad, which carried out October 7th. You, there's literally no, they, they have tried and screamed that, and there is not provable evidence. It would be everywhere. As well as the fact that Robert points out, again, interesting point that I haven't really dug too deep into. Apparently, the Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, has way more people, like apparently 70,000 plus people. And yet everything they're doing is aimed at Hamas, which has, they say, 30,000. Does that make sense? Now, Hamas is much more organized. But how in the hell do you make sense of that? So all it really means, let's say they really do destroy all of Hamas. Well, they're just going to shift into saying the Palestinian Islamic Jihad is the problem. This is not about stopping any of them. Quite frankly, I think it's clear that they're utilizing all of them. But it says, so in my opinion, there is an abundance of evidence. I'd love to see it. It's just, it's abundant statements. Yes. Which can be submitted to the court. I promise you this is going to happen. And then what they're going to do is say, once it's flatly dismissed because they don't have evidence other than insinuation, they're going to accuse the court of being biased and all the Zionist supporters are going to go, see, we do it. They're racist. And it's all about the game. It's, it's so obvious to me. Now, Scott Horton includes this where are we at on time almost to two hours. In 2010, Israeli Channel 10 News revealed then-ex-Prime Minister Netanyahu was caught on candid camera in 2001 explaining how he, and this is basically saying that, you know, he sexually assaulted Bill Clinton right in the face, like effed him right in the face is the point, figuratively speaking, he says, destroyed Oslo and setting Israel on its path to the current catastrophe. Now, this is, you can watch it. This is a very public video. Everybody's, you know, who cares to look at it? This has been discussed. It's been validated. This is real. It's in, it's in uh, Hebrew with Hebrew subtitles. Let me read you what it says. And we've already talked about this, in fact. Now, the, re the point to understand is the Oslo Accords, as I, I, I mentioned, I, I think we referenced when Dave Smith talked about this, that it's on the record, guys, that they knowingly tried to put so many poison pills into these agreements that they knew they wouldn't accept it and then blamed them for not accepting it. It says, Net the, this is Netanyahu speaking, the Arabs now are preparing for a campaign of terror and they think that this will break us. The main thing is, first and foremost, to hit them hard. Not just one hit, but many painful so that the price will be unbearable. That's collective punishment right there. The price is not unbearable now. A total assault on the Palestinian Authority to bring them to a state of panic that everything is collapsing, fear that everything will collapse. That will bring that is what will bring them to. This woman interrupts and goes, but wait a minute. At that point, the whole world will say, what are you guys, occupiers? Meaning that they know that they are and they don't want that to be the point. Netanyahu says, the world will say nothing. The world will say that we are defending ourselves. It's just so transparent, guys. 
He does. He he. This is like him laughing about how stupid the international community is. And really, I don't think it's about stupidity. I think it's about political manipulation. But the woman says, "Aren't you afraid of the world, BB?" He says, "No, especially now with America. I know what America is. America is a thing that can be easily moved, moved in the right direction. They will not bother us. They'll su- they'll suppose that they will say something, so they say it. So what? Eighty percent of Americans support us. It's absurd. That's his word. Those are his words." We have such support there, and we say, what shall we do with this support? He goes, look, the other administration, Clinton, was pro-Palestinian in an extreme way. I was not afraid to maneuver there. I did not fear confrontation with Clinton. I was not afraid to clash with the UN. As it is, I am paying the price in the international arena, so I might as well receive something of equal value in exchange. First of all, Oslo is a system or package of things. What What were the Oslo Accords? The Oslo Accords, which the Knesset, which is their their government, their rather their Congress, essentially signed. I was I was asked before the elections, "Will you act according to them?" And I answered yes, subject to the the reciprocity and limited with the withdrawals, limiting the withdrawals. Point was no, obviously, but now, but how do you limit the withdrawals? I interpret the accords in such a way that will enable me to stop this rush towards 67 borders, which is the point he agreed to. The point is that that you know some kind of a, a two state solution. So he says, so how do we do it? No one said what defined military sites. Defined military sites, I said, were security zones. As far as I'm concerned, the Jordan Valley is defined military sites. So he's just manipulating everything. How can you tell? But then the question came up of just who would define what military, defined military sites were. I received a letter to me and to Arafat at the time, that was the Palestinian Authority representative, at the same time, which said that Israel and only Israel would be the one to define what those are the location of those military sites, and their size. Now, they did not want to give me the letter, so I did not give the Hebron agreement. I stopped the government meeting. I said, I'm not signing. Only when the letter came in the course of the meeting to me and to Arafat, only then did I sign the the Hebron agreement. Or Or rather ratify it, and I'd already been signed. Why does this matter? Because at the moment, I actually stopped the Oslo Accord. Not what you'd hear publicly. Woman interrupts and says, and despite that, one of our own people, excuse me, who knew it was a swindle and that we were going to commit suicide with the Oslo Accord gives them, for example, Hebron. I never understood that. He responds, indeed, Hebron hurts. It hurts. It's the thing that hurts. One of the famous rabbis, whom I very much respect, Eretz uh, Israel, said to me, what would your father say? I went to my father. Do you know a little about my father's position? Woman says, yes. Netanyahu says, it's not exactly a little white dove, as they say. So my father heard the question and said, tell the rabbi that your grandfather was a smart Jew. Tell him it would be better to give 2% than to give 100%. And that's the choice here. You give 2% in the sense of Hebron, and in that way, you stopped the withdrawal instead of 100%, which, by the way, was publicly what they claimed was ultimately going to happen. The trick is not to be there and break down. The trick is to be there and pay a minimal price. She asks him, may you say that as, as prime minister? He goes, I, in my estimation, that will happen. And then it did. Largely because of U.S. support, too. The point is on the record, knowingly making sure that the thing you pretended you were fighting for didn't happen. And that included funding Hamas to make sure that didn't happen. Now, here is, um, uh, what's, I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden, Gideon Levy. By the way, this little note down here just basically makes the point that they feel that this was edited in a way that made it seem as if he f- believed what he's saying, 
which I don't really, I'm not, you guys can decide for yourself. The point is he's very, very uh, uh, critical of Israel. What he's saying in this video is not to say that he believes that, but that this is part of the problem, just so that's clear. And that's all they're saying down here is it was edited in a way that made it seem like he was proudly saying it when he's not. It's, it's weird. It's just personal opinion, but she, this is important because he is an Israeli and he's publicly and has been for a long time. He writes for Haaretz as well, speaking about the fact that this is a problem. Now, if anybody else says this as an American, well, you're a racist and you hate Jews. But the point is, it's, it's accurate. And this is what the, the reality becomes. And we've seen this played out and people are finally pushing back on it. We are the chosen people. Who are you to tell us what to do? Who are you? Who is the international community to tell Israel what to do? International law? Who? Wonderful thing. It doesn't apply on us. It applies on any other place on earth, not on Israel. Because we are the chosen people. Don't you understand it? The second very deep-rooted value is obviously the value of we, the victims, not only the biggest victims, but the only victims around. I know many occupations which were longer than Israeli occupation, than the Israeli occupation, somewhere even more brutal, even though it's getting harder and harder to be more brutal than the Israeli occupation. I don't recall one occupation in which the occupier presents himself as the victim. Not only the victim, the only victim. If to phrase here, if to quote here the late Golda Meir, whom I quoted also last time, I know, but it is so unforgettable, I have to use it again. She once said that we will never forgive the Arabs for forcing us to kill their children. My God. We are the victims. We are forced to kill their children. Poor us. And as the victim and the only victim in history, again, it enables us the rights to do whatever we want. And nobody is going to tell us what to do because we are the only victims. To this, there is a third very deep-rooted value. And this is the very deep belief, again, everyone will deny it, but if you scratch under the skin of almost every Israeli, you'll find it there. The Palestinians are not equal human beings like us. They are not like us. They don't love their children like us. They don't love life like us. They were born to kill. They are cruel. They are sadists. They have no values, no manners. Look how they kill us. This is very, very deep-rooted in Israeli society, and maybe that's the key issue. Because as long as this continues, nothing will move. As long as most of the Israelis don't perceive the Palestinians as equal human beings, we are so much better than them. We are so much developed than them. And we are so much human than them. As long as this is the case, all our dreams, and we have some dreams, and I'll get to them, all our dreams will never become true as long as this core issue will not change. pretty obvious. I just think I'm just, again, just happy that people are finally finding the courage to point these things out. Not out of, a, not out of some racist ambition or hatred for anybody, but simply because they're obviously true. Now, in this sense, this part, we're going to talk about the, the UNRWA, United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, and how this is being manipulated. At the time when obviously this is one of the last, last refuges for the people that are still that being genocided right now in front of us. Arnaud Batrand writes, whatever your position is in all of this, just take a moment to reflect on just how dark this is. Hours, just hours after the International Court of Justice concluded that Israel was plausibly committing genocide and ordered it to dramatically step up in humanitarian efforts, you know, bringing in more food, more support, more medical treatment, seven Western countries decided to sanction, not Israel, but the Palestinians and the United Nations. Unreal. 
you could frame this as being about some we- some flimsy investigation that stems from forced coerced testimony from people that they had inter- interrogated within their prisons, which I'll show you yet again today, which is the case. Hold on, I was just thinking about. It, the, the bottom line, we have to, these, it's just, it's so unreal that we're talking about people that have been coerced into giving testimony about how this is happening under the guise that it's because of some terrorist action or because they're doing bad things when the, when obviously this is a immediate response to take action against the people who are standing up in regard to what the ICJ is doing. You are sanctioning and attacking the group that is provably being genocides being committed against under the guise that it's about this other investigation based on allegations that even still the U.S. government said we need we'll we'll reach out to Israel to find out the very so they haven't even seen this stuff they're taking it on the word of Israel and removing funding from this group and yet there's an end an endless ongoing body of evidence of documentation of videos of testimony of of human rights groups investigation showing what they're doing of crimes and the U.S. government's going, well, we don't know. We'll have to wait until we figure it out and do more investigations. But you're sure as hell willing to shut down the necessary needs of the people who are being committed genocide against because of an allegation of the group doing the genocide. If you ever needed a better example of the U.S. government is complicit and taking part in this genocide, it's right here. They cut funding for the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, otherwise known as UNRWA which is the UN agency tasked with humanitarian assistance to Palestinians. Their schooling, their food, I mean, it's it's everything. And therefore, their main lifeline. Even if you were the world's worst cynic, you'd still have a hard time expecting such sheer level of cruelty and deprivation. This is absolutely unfathomable. They did so with the cheapest possible excuse, effectively using Israel's narrative that UNRWA is Hamas. Simple as that. How ridiculous. They, uh, the allegation and allegations by Israel that some UNRWA staff were involved in October 7th attack. But one, Israel has been making these allega- accusations for months. So the timing of cutting funding right after this ruling is obviously not a coincidence. And number two, UNRWA has announced almost immediately the termination of the contracts of these people out of 30,000 strong workforce and launched an investigation. And again, they made it very public. They said this is just an abundance of, ca- abundance of caution. We're going to remove these and we're going to investigate. But that's not an admission that they are what you say they are. And they say, so obviously doesn't condone this. If it's the allegations were to be proven correct, how can an organization of 30,000 staff be held collectively accountable for the individual actions of 0.04% of its entire workforce? Especially if the current context, when its work is a life or death matter for millions of people. I mean, guys, it's just unreal. So this is a direct contradiction. Like at the very least, it's not applied equally. If you're going to take just based on the allegation there's a crime being committed and remove funding from 30,000 strong workforce that is the lifeline for the people who are otherwise being, I mean, who are being committed, I, to phrase that wrong, who are the people in Gaza who a genocide is being committed against, who need these people's help under the guise that they are working. I mean, it's just so abstract. One side, you've got evidence that there's genocide being committed that is being disregarded because you just don't know for sure. While on the other side, you're taking an allegation from a group that's been caught lying repeatedly. It shows you truly what these people are. It's an excuse. 
To add to the cynicism here, UNRWA staff are actually a major victim of the war with at least 152 staffers being killed. We stopped counting at, I think, 111, but 150 plus UN staff members have been killed. That is unprecedented. I've never heard a single example of this used to be the hugest deal in the world. Not when Israel does it, apparently. In a normal world, it's Israel that should be punished for killing so many members of a humanitarian organization who, regardless of whether you accuse them of, are protected under international law. But nope, it's the humanitarian organization that's getting punished alongside with the very vulnerable population it's committing, committed to helping. The point is, following this, seven other countries have also suspended their funding because of claims by Israel that they took part in October 7th. Think about that. Ryan Grimm, as I pointed out yesterday, says, oh, okay, so the U.S. does apparently know how to stop funding from flowing after allegations of war crimes, but just only selectively applies it towards the people that they don't like. Because there has been an, an endless and provable flow of allegations about war crimes, not just genocide, but war crimes. CNN, of all people, just did a literal investigation about them shooting people with white flags, and it's undeniable. CNN! Not that we should trust them. I think they clearly just need to regain some level of some level of, of trust from people. But realize that. And that's ignored. But a floated allegation, and they immediately cut funding. So his point is that they could if they wanted to. Whether that's because of some kind of blackmail or just that they want to commit genocide. I don't know. But the, temp, the, the State Department said immediately the whole based off just the floated allegation. He says the head of UNRWA has said that the contracts with these 12 people have already been ended immediately. The idea of soldiers and media regularly post direct evidence of Israeli war crimes, yet there hasn't been a single announcement of even an investigation beyond the three that they killed publicly. And that, that or even recently, there's two things. There's three that have been killed because they shot them, one of them 15 minutes later after the other two, after they coaxed him out and shot him twice, or the three that were killed because of poison gas. They're killing their own people, quite clearly. And the point is, there's so much evidence still overwhelming, and yet, nothing. You can read, here's a link to, you know, context, more than 10,000 Palestinians, apparently 30,000 employees work in Gaza. Here is what the U.S. government said in their statement. This was on the 26th, when this really blew up. The United States is extremely troubled by the allegations. Imagine pulling funding, millions of it, for an aid agency during what people are calling a genocide because of an allegation by the one committing the genocide. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That 12 out of 30,000 unrun employees have been involved in October 7th. The Department of State has temporarily paused, which I'm sure that will go on longer than temporary, funding for UNRWA, the entire agency, while we review these allegations and the steps the United Nations is taking to address them. Nothing like that's happened to anything going on in Gaza. Isn't that interesting? from Israel's side. And the point is, while we, while we review these allegations and the steps the UN is taking, he says, UNRWA plays a critical role in providing life-saving assistance to Palestinians. They're even stating that, including essential food, medicine, shelter, and other vital humanitarian support. Their work has saved lives, but we're going to stop all of it until we figure this out. <laughs> think, about, think about the lip service there. How embarrassing and insulting. Salt in the wound. And this is, by the, way, by the way, while Israel and the government being a part of it, as you can clearly see, they're letting them through and Mossad praised them for it, publicly stopping aid from coming through. That's on top of them already doing that anyway. And then they attack the one last group that is actively helping the people.
The United States has reached out to the government of Israel to seek more information about these allegations. So you're, you stopped the funding before you even knew if it was true. Just on their word, which is pretty much always what happens. I'm willing to bet you they get nothing more than that, ever. Because it's not real, in my opinion. Now, here is Mr. Propaganda from Mr. October 7th spokesman, forever, apparently. Amra is a... Now, he went from saying some of them are Hamas, or that they allow it, to it's a Hamas front. This is cartoonish, and I've been saying this the whole time. Remember when I said it before, and I was basically joking, that it turned out that they, they were that the UN wasn't going immediately parroting their rape allegations, right? And then it came that, you know, there was a pushback and then it went very rapidly to the UN is Hamas. Like the, it's just so ridiculous. Not that there's not a possibility in everything, but the point is that to just broadly say that as if you can prove that every single element is just Hamas. What does it even mean? They are a 30,000 strong group trapped inside of an open air prison. That doesn't make much sense. It's just stupid. Anyway, I'll jump to this right now, actually, this because this is a good time to read it. Here's what Caitlin said. And she made something similar like this. I just think this is how dumb this is. UNRWA is Hamas. The hospitals are Hamas. The ambulances are Hamas. The journalists are Hamas. The schools are Hamas. South Africa is Hamas. People tweeting unfavorable things about Israel are Hamas. Basically, everyone Israel and its supporters want killed just happens to be Hamas. What do you know? And this person says, you are Hamas. <laughs> just, just perfect. Ridiculous. So here, thank you to the PVT, not familiar with the work, but I followed them after this because I'd like to, they posted because this, again, it's, well, I, the one thing I don't, they didn't put a link in there. I always hate that, but I was able to find it based on the text. They said, tell us more about that they're a front basically, because it turns out all of the things they're using to make this allegation came from IDF and Shin Bet interrogations who are proudly seemingly known of coercing false testimony. Here are multiple articles, and I've shown you many of these in the past. These are easy to look up. Israel interrogations could lead to false confessions, says an Israeli court. Quote, the Shin Bet breaks you. You'd be insane enough to give a false confession. And let's not forget, there's three others. There is two examples, as I said yesterday, of people who have been shown. Remember that guy that was shaking with the white thing over him? He, they, they made claims that were later proven to not actually happen. So you already have a real world example right now, just post October 7th of them coercing these guys to say things to suit their agenda, which means they know they're lying about this. So here's the, the article he has underlined. It's right here. Unra Sack staffers who allegedly participated in October 7th. Israel is the one that provided this intel about the 12 employees. Shocking. And it says right here, a senior official has told Axios that, that basically their FBI, Shin Bet, and the IDF provided information that pointed to this part the participation of them. And it says down here that this was strong and corroborated intelligence. A lot of it came from interrogations of militants who we arrested, many of which nothing to do with Hamas. So these are coerced testimony. At least that's what I think, and the rest of this proves it to me, in my opinion. You can decide for yourself. I hope you do. Here's Cuds News Network acknowledging what they're saying. Same thing. Axios reported that a senior Israeli official said that the Shin Bet and their forces got this information based on interrogations of alleged militants kidnapped from Gaza that linked UNRWA staffers with Hamas. Again, a group that near I mean, their own media reports they force interrogations and get false confessions. Israeli media has previously said that most of the kidnapped by the, the, the occupation forces from Gaza are civilians. Their own media said that. While several organizations documented the arrest of journalists, doctors, civilians after 
publicly accusing them of all being Hamas. Remember that? We've talked about this. And they later released the vast majority of them as not Hamas. And the point was they paraded them around and said, look at all these Hamas members that came out of the tunnel. Remember? They immediately were shown that was a lie. Reports by several human rights organizations, including Human Rights Watch, had previously proven that both Israeli agencies are engaged in a systematic pattern of ill treatment and torture when trying to extract from Palestinians confessions or information about third parties. That is obvious. Now, you would think if they're saying it's provable, if they're saying things like UNRWA is a Hamas front, that they might have some shred of evidence to go along with that, not just statements that they say they were told in a confession, which is all it is. You'd think they'd have something more than going, look, here's Hamas at a base of UNRWA, except it's obviously a policeman because it literally says police on his back. The point is, that's not what Hamas dress is like. And of course, anybody could be Hamas or anybody could be anything, but that's a policeman. It's just so mind-numbingly stupid that these people who know better, they know, would lie about this. And it shows you that if they have to lie about it like this, that they know that this there's nothing to back it up. And again, that's not to say, as many have pointed out, that there is obviously it's possible that the very group that they keep screaming at you is in control of the area, which I don't think is the full picture, might have some overlap. Like my point was, whether it's the, the hospitals or this location, if Hamas suddenly comes up and does and is working and, and whatever you think they're doing, are you suggesting that the UN group is supposed to fight against them or keep them? They, what are you going to do? It's a it's a open air prison that Israel has funded this group into power and allowed them to be this what they are, and you're pretending that they're not. They're supposed to just. I mean, it's just it's an absurd reality. The possibility that Hamas does in fact overlap with these it's certainly possible, but again. I would love to see evidence, proof, let alone evidence of, or have evidence, let alone proof about any of that. But this is what they're putting forward, as because pathetic propaganda. What does Hamas have to do with it? That's a policeman with a baton. It's obvious. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. Well, you've seen this already, but when we get into how this is clearly an operation that has been planned and executed. This is just a supporter of Israel saying there was a ceasefire on October 6th. <laughs> so stupid. It, there are so many. It just, it's such a willful ignorance, which I know they know that this has been an ongoing occupation, apartheid genocide for as long for 75 plus years. Just because you claim there was some kind of a ceasefire, are you telling you they weren't still occupying the area? That they weren't still controlling every aspect of their lives? That the IDF wasn't just casually shooting or raping or stealing from anybody they wanted at any point? It's just so ridiculous. But he says, of course, the money, think about this, that UNRWA has lost just in the last 24 hours. This is wild. And think about what this means for what they can do to help people. And given that this was what they were getting, and it was still a Band-Aid on a bullet hole, a fraction of what was needed. The U.S., $343 million. Germany, $202 million. Canada, $23 million. $21 million. That's crazy. I, it, they revoked this at a time when these people are whatever you think is happening are very clearly starving are very clearly dying at levels we've barely ever seen before unprecedented when it comes to the size of the location and the time this is happening and yet they're proudly saying this big bad guys because israel said now hamza yusuf points out to be clear the scottish government has not paused or withdrawn aid we have previously provided as much as we can with and this is the um first minister of scotland 
He says, we have previously provided as much as we can within our financial constraints. We will always seek to do more where we can and urge others to continue to provide it. Good for them. Good for them for standing up when they know they're going to get attacked. Israel's going to call them racist and call them anti-Semitic and whatever else. And all they're doing is supporting people who are being genocided. Sam Husseini just basically cites what Francis Boyle, who is an, an inter American international law, inter, uh, human rights lawyer, or as international law lawyer, I forget which, either way, he's a, he's a lawyer, states, with, states that with states, including the US and the UK, cutting off funding to UNRWA, that it is, quote, no longer the case of these states just aiding and abetting genocide against Palestinians in violation of the convention, Genocide Convention Article 3, criminalizing complicity in genocide. He says these states are now also directly, this is what I was saying, violating the Gen Genocide Convention, Article 2C, by themselves, quote, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole, in part or in whole. That is genocide. Make sure you're following Sam. He's doing great work. Now, this is where it gets especially interesting. Now, Zachary Foster, who has a PhD in the history of Palestine, in 2021, Israel, as usual, falsely labeled six Palestinian NGOs dedicated to human rights as terrorist organizations after failing to provide any evidence whatsoever to back up the claim. Nine EU states rejected the argument. And they just let it go. Right? If they were actually terrorists, don't you think they'd be continue to go, hey, you're wrong. You're going to get hurt. No, they just dropped. They threw it at the wall, didn't stick. They moved on because it's a lie. But now we're supposed to believe their claim about UNRWA with no evidence? This is what they do. Here is just before this. This was, I believe, January 4th. Sam says Israel is not, quote, responding with vengeance to October 7th. It is carrying out a systematic genocidal program using whatever pretext it can get away with. I agree. Middle East Eye points this out. This is this is a, uh, who was it? Uh, Noga Arbel, the former Israeli official, saying it will be impossible to win the war if we do not destroy UNRWA. Not because they're terrorists, but because they're supporting the people they're trying to destroy. And this destruction must be imme begin immediately, they say. This, by the way, was before the UNRWA is Hamas narrative started flowing. A former Israeli official called for the destruction of UNRWA during the discussion of an Israeli parliament discussion here. Watch for yourself. It's, it's, it's in Hebrew, but it's a, there's the, the subtitles. So clearly, this was not... I mean, I saw Abby Martin just tweet about this. You can't pretend this is about reacting to the evidence when this was already set up that we wanted to get rid of this group before that narrative started getting spun. Based on the statements of Israel Israeli officials who have been caught lying repeatedly. Now, Khaleesi posted this out. This was uh, Katie Helper, Halper talking to Craig... Uh, Mo Kieber, that the reality is, which by the way, shouldn't be that shocking. They've always hated UNRWA. It has nothing to do with Hamas. Craig Mokieber, Mo uh, Mo ex-United Nations human, right human rights official, human rights official, and director of the New York Office for the High Commissioner for Human Rights and international human rights lawyer, explains that this has nothing to do with Hamas, that they've always wanted to destroy this group. And this is just the way they're doing it now. That case against Israel. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. And I mean, a couple of things I'll say about that. One is that Israel has always hated UNRWA because UNRWA represents a lifeline that prevents them from totally destroying civilian life in Gaza. If it weren't for UNRWA, 
because of the, 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 the caged reality of Palestinians, the permanent refugee status of Palestinians in, uh, in Palestine, Palestinians wouldn't have the healthcare and the education and the housing and, uh, and the humanitarian assistance and other things that they need. And so that's a threat to Israel's ethno-nationalist plan for the occupied territories. And so they have for years worked to try to attack and discredit, and they've made false charges for years. Now, in this case, I don't know if any of these, you know, there are thousands of UNRWA employees in Gaza because it's, it's the main employer in Gaza. And it includes people who are teachers and doctors and engineers and, uh, uh, and janitors and drivers and, uh, and all sorts of people among those. Right. So see, based on that point alone, it's, you know, it's not trying to give anybody the benefit of the doubt. This is just pointing out a pos- one of the obvious possibilities, which, you know, how it's, it's just as likely that these, how would they know? Like somebody, I'm sure they, they, they definitely vet people. You can look up the process or they say they do, but the point is that it's easy to some, for somebody to hide their connections to have it, to get a job. And in fact, a job that they would argue is what you argue they're trying to accomplish, which is helping Palestinians. But they could also be working for a group. And let's realize that Palestinians do not see that as terrorist organization, despite the fact that I show you Israel's funding of it, which, again, that's where it becomes convoluted. Who knows what the current status of what they're really trying to achieve today is. One of the arguments is that they have since then grown into more supporting the Palestinian resistance. And that's, that's why I argue the cutter leadership is being rescued uh, basically israel's allowing them to stay over there without going doing anything to the group and cutter while working with them to mediate agreements but it, my point is that you could have people that join this under the mindset that they are actually fighting for the resistance and the self-determination of palestine does that make them terrorists right my point is it's not as simple as just saying this group is terrorism and therefore they are all this it's that that is just a s- simplified argument and that's also stemming from allegations from the group without any evidence to back it up. So it's not impossible that some of them, when, when, the, when the escape happened from the cage, that some of them escaped as well uh, in that. Um, and uh, I saw today from the UN spokesperson that they actually fired these people. But, it, but the way they described it is like firing them and they're investigating. Well, it seems to me you would investigate and then fire them. Hmm. Right. So I don't know if they got some confirmation. But what concerns me about this is that the accusations came from Shin Bet and other Israeli intelligence officials based upon interrogation of suspects that they were holding. In other words, people who were tortured said that these UNRWA people were also uh, participating in, in October 7th. So it's possible, uh, but I am not going to be convinced until I see an independent investigation uh, in, into this question. And I completely agree with that. Now here's Mohammed Shihada pointing out, Israel's government has literally revealing their three-stage plan to destroy UNRWA for weeks, like a James Bond supervillain. The U.S. at all knows this, right? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Here, it's, as he writes out, stage one, smear UNRWA. Stage two, reduce its operations to Gaza. Stage three, replace it completely to destroy Palestinians' right of return. Israel hoping to push UNRWA out of Gaza post-war. Like, it's so on the surface. And only then after the fact, you drum up these arguments based on nothing but allegations. Cuts News Network cites Commissioner General of UNRWA, Philippe, uh, Philippe uh, Lazzarini, commenting on decisions by Western countries to halt the funding. He says, our humanitarian operations, on which 2 million people depend as a lifeline in Gaza, is collapsing. I am shocked that decisions are taken based on alleged behavior of a few individuals, and as the war continues... Needs are deepening and famine looms. Palestinians in Gaza did not need this additional collective punishment that stains all of us. But of course, they'll say you're a terrorist and you support Hamas based on nothing but allegations. 
Now, I'm not going to play all of this, probably just the beginning, but this is Wyatt Reed sharing. This is a uh, former deputy administrator of the CIA, cut out USAID, and lifelong Zionist Bonnie Glick bragging about keeping food out of the mouths of starving children. Tweets like this will be used as evidence at work for as, at war crime trials one day. Hope so. That was Chris Gunness, a former chief spokesperson for UNRWA. With me in the studio is Bonnie Glick, a former deputy administrator for the United States Agency for International Development under the Donald Trump administration. Thank you so much for your time today. So you heard Chris Gunness there. They've terminated those contracts before the investigation was even completed. Is that enough action in your view? Oh, that's not enough action. Oh, it's not. So it's not enough to completely judge them before any investigation's been done. That's not enough. You think she's biased? At all. UNRWA, uh, as Chris said, has as its mandate, and as you laid out, education, hospitals, and health care. But what has been uncovered through the last 113 days since October 7th is a vast system of tunnels that Hamas has built. What? You realize these are coming from recent allegations that we just talked about that they floated with no evidence, and she's just conflating that with a pair, making it sound like there's been a 117-day investigation that talks about the tunnels, which have no clear, no provable connection to any UNRWA discussion. But this is these this is why people in the United States are swayed because they think this person knows what they're talking about, and really she's just, in my opinion, being driven by Zionist talking points. Using assistance dollars that have come from donors including through UNRWA. You, there's no evidence of that. That's an allegation. And you can prove, by the way, that money that comes through that's supposed to go to Palestinians ends up in the hands of these Qatar leadership because of Israel. To build this hundreds and hundreds of miles long tunnel system that they are holding hostages in and that they're using for their command no, and control. Does deny how could she possibly know any of that? That's just narrative being spun. And most of that command and control has been embarrassingly shown to be false with their false videos that are even called out by BBC in the Shifa hospital discussion. Remember that whole like command and control? Oops, it was just this weird little room with a TV. Sorry. But we're, there's, you know, or the lies they get caught with moving guns and getting caught bringing in boxes in. They got caught in, in egregiously. But she just toes the line. Oops, oh, where were we? So now just wanted to show you that here's what UNRWA posted today. As they're being attacked, our team of doctors and UNRWA nurses and midwives provide care at our health centers, as well as in roaming medical teams in, in these UNRWA shelters. But due to continued bombardment and access restrictions, kind way to put that, that's what they're doing, only four out of 22 health centers are now operational. That's what they just did. So you took a, gen a starving country near famine who are, are already are being, having genocide committed against them. People getting pregnant, giving, giving, giving birth in the streets, children getting amputations with no anesthetic. And then you sanction the group who is helping them and that bring it down to four out of 22 that were barely even meeting the immediate needs of some people that just need to be like, like the point was that this many cases, they're just giving them something, whatever they can and letting them deal with the pain. We have nothing we can do for them. And then you cut it down to four of those locations. It makes me sick. It makes me disgusted that this group pretends it represents me, the U.S. government. Now, I don't know about what you think about this. I'm not a fan of supporting. I, I just don't believe the United Nations is truly an, on the side of the people. But that doesn't mean that the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency 
might not still be, you know, I, I do believe that largely these groups are trying to help the Palestinian people. So if you feel that's the case, as Arnaud Batran says, seeing as how they just lost a, what, a billion dollars of multiple countries funding, if there was ever a time to donate to UNRWA, he says it's now. When nine countries led by the U.S. have decided to cut their funding in a dystopian retaliation for the ICJ ruling and therefore cut Palestinians' main source of humanitarian assistance, here's a link if you'd like to. Wyatt Reed points out, just as an update, because he put this on the first, showing you that the, the number of deaths, right, since, you know, 10,000 of, of, you know, civilians killed in Ukraine since the 24th of February 2022 is 10,000. Sanctions on Russia response, 16,077. 16,000 sanctions on Russia in response. Think about that. Civilians killed in Gaza at this point, January 1st, 21,000. Sanctions on Israel, zero. Look at this ridiculousness. We've removed all Russian vodka from our shelves because bad Russia bad guy. This is the kind of action we saw because of what they're claiming were 10,000 deaths. And nothing for Israel. Here he, he updated. Today, this is from today. Or yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, today. Civilians confirmed killed in Gaza since the 7th have now risen to 26,000. Since still, zero sanctions on Israel. Even with an ICJ court, the world court ruling that they've not... They, that ordered them not to commit acts of genocide and still nine countries sanction the main provider of humanitarian aid coordinated attacks on these people now here as i said before the fifth day of israeli illegal settlers gathering at karam abu salim border crossing to purposely and stated purpose to, to prevent aid from getting through to these people as they're shutting down the aid agencies that need this, as they're delaying aid by Israel's sense, they're blocking whatever they're trying to get through anyway. And as I said, illegal Israeli settlers continue to block aid to their hostages as well, guys, as well as Palestinians. Don't forget that. This is the aid that would otherwise be feeding the people that they still have held there. They don't care about that. That's disgusting. For the fifth day in a row. And remember, Mossad just tweeted this and said, good job, guys. This with open support for doing so by the Israeli government. How are they getting in there? But please tell me about Hamas stopping aid again. Remember when Matt Miller tried to feebly, feebly make that argument and then was like, well, wait, uh, maybe it was the other way around. They, they will, uh, even the U.S. government apparatus, the representatives will say whatever. Throw it at the wall, see if it works, move on. They're liars at their core. Now, here's what Israel says yet again. While you were at home with your loved ones, these Israeli women were being held hostage by Hamas all of which are IDF members, by the way. They don't want you to see that. It's provable. We've done this before. Hidden in a cold and dark tunnel. How do you know that? Many of them told you they were in houses, which you later bombed. They could be your daughters, your sisters. Well, so too. And it says it's been 113 days. I mean, it's just so weird that they keep making this statement while people are going, look, man, that matters. Here is 117 days of 30,000 people you've killed, 117 children every day. Doesn't that matter? They could be your daughters, your sisters, your friends, right? But it's only a one-way outrage. And as I said, they've offered to send them home numerous times. I mean, I'll make sure you don't miss that. So from the very beginning, Hamas was offering a full exchange. They kept refusing, and they got that minimal pause. And I argue they were trying to return the dead bodies of the Bebas family, because even the father said they were killed, and they still use their names right now, acting like they're still alive, and they know they're not. And I think that's what made them stop. That's my opinion, but I think it's pretty clear. And then, since then, Hamas has continued to offer full exchange. It's publicly discussed. It's open knowledge. The Zionist manipulators will pretend otherwise. 
but they've offered. So when you continue to go, they're still take it. You're the one that continues to refuse taking them home. And as I said, you keep refusing in lieu of continuing to bomb the very areas they're in, you know, to bomb them into freedom somehow. That's if you're not shooting them dead in the streets as they surrender or killing them with poison gas. That's what I was just referencing. They were literally holding signs that said SOS, and they were saying things in Hebrew, and they shot them down. Then the one that ran away, they were coaxing out, and he was going, don't shoot me. I'm an Israeli, and two of them shot him anyway. How do you take that? That's their reporting, by the way. Haaretz reported that. How do you take that as anything other than deliberate attacks on their own people? And uh, the mother of one of these people is what got the story attention, saying, you lied about his death. You gassed him. You, the, the toxic cult, the report that we got showed that he died of gas and you didn't say that. Now they're calling to investigate. These are three of their own people. It's kind of hard not to see who's killing all the hostages. Now, in general, I think there's only a couple parts in this. Trying to, I guess we're going to go close to three anyway, so who cares? This is an important point. I already referenced this, but I'll show you the article itself. Just like we said, that all these different examples of them killing their own people, here's another one that you might have missed. This is an Israeli who decided of his own accord to go into Gaza, and then on the way back, they killed him. And as it says, Avihu, his name, slipped past military forces near the devastated kibbutz of Nahal Oz, crossed the fence and walked, unimpeded, interestingly enough, into Gaza for about half, about 0.3 miles. How in the world is it unimpeded? Think about that for a second. That doesn't make much sense unless we're not being told the truth. He then says when he decided to turn back, and go to the fence, he was mistaken for a terrorist. That's what we're told anyway, and killed by a drone. The Israeli Defense Forces confirmed these details in a conversation with Haaretz, but no military officials contacted the family. Think about that, as the publication of the article. So they found out in the news, and they're still waiting for answers. Here's what they said. Way down here, of course, the military never sent anyone to talk to them. Two months after the news of his death, his family still feels like they have no grasp on what actually happened. This is not what a legitimate government does. Like, this is a government that is hiding from their own people, just like our government, by the way. It says, how come no one, this is her asking, how come no one from the army has come to apologize and explain? How come, how many more failures can happen or have happened? Failures in quotes for me. How can a civilian cross into the Gaza Strip at a time like that? <laughs> exactly. That means there's no protection. I mean, that that's something very suspicious there. It says, my brother managed to get through all the so-called tight security layers. Where was the spotter when he crossed into the fence into the strip, right? I think it's because these people are seeing things they don't want them to see, and these people are being killed. And why, as she asks, kill an unarmed man? Where are the open fire regulations? Why didn't they neutralize him? They took him down, took him apart, left him no chance. You, you just can't, you have to take a step back and realize how clearly they're targeting their own people. It's been admitted to by the colonel, speaking on the record from the IDF, Mass Hannibal. They have decided these people are liabilities. I think it's undeniable at this point. Oh, this is just in case it went away. Now here, uh, Trita Parsi points out, an author, writer, as these Palestinians flee yet another Israeli attack, they tie together, they tie their toddler to the back of a bike. Images like this usually beget calls for humanitarian military intervention by the West. 
an allegation about Iran. We have to do something. Russia claims, you know, Ukraine claims Russia did this. We have to accuse them of war crimes. We have to invade to stop them. Things like that, right? But when a Western ally commits murder, the U.S. intervenes by sending more weapons. This is what you're seeing. This and the claim was Russia made this happen. They would, they would stop screaming foul. Now, we're at a point Palestinians, and what do they do? They cut funding for them because allegations from the person committing genocide. This just makes me sick. I just can't. This is something I just can't. I mean, I think we all in the world need to, we should not stop thinking about what's happening to these people because this is being done with your tax dollars, pretty much everywhere in the world at this point, and your name, when, when specifically it seems that most everybody doesn't agree with this. Here is an example coming off the ICJ discussion of Israeli soldiers yet again posting their genocidal actions on their platforms and laughing about it. Guess what they're saying? Khan Yunus, we came to F you. I promise you, son of a B. Khan Yunus, right? Are they, do you mean only Hamas? No, no, Khan Yunus, where all of the Palestinian civilians are being forced into. And they're, we're, t- we're telling you they're bombing all of them, killing all of them, as even their own reports have shown you that they're bombing the places they said are safe. But they're told, no, 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 it's because we found Hamas secretly in the, in the border, in the, in the ground, and they shot a missile. So we're going after them only. So then why are these people saying we're going to kill you all and laughing about it? Because they know what's going on, and these ones are the crazy ones. The point is, didn't they just get told that the, they, the ICJ ordered the Israeli government that they have to do something about stuff like this? You know they're not going to. Not, I mean, they already told you they're not going to do anything about it. But just so we're clear, here's another open example of them discussing the genocidal point that they told you that they were supposed to do something about, and they won't. <laughs> they even gave you the battalion number, Battalion 8104. Call it out. Make it a point that they are not doing what they said they were going to they what they were supposed to do legally binding, which is do something about that. <laughs> so the point to be clear is that's directed at all of Khan Yunus. That's the point. There's just no way to misunderstand these things, and there's so many of them. And just another example, by the way, which is in the West Bank, where the illegal Israeli settlers have been armed and given official capacity, even though they've always been essentially doing the same that same thing. And have been on a tear, as even the corporate media has been calling out. Raping, stealing, occupying, destroying homes, burning fields, uprooting olive trees. I mean, it's everywhere. And now we add another one to it. By Israeli media, Israeli settlers have found a new way to abuse Palestinian shepherds. Think about how open and obvious this is, even written by the headline by Haaretz. And we act like we're debating this stuff. What what is the the new abuse? They bankrupt them. You know how? This week, police... So in official capacity, the Israeli police, because of the Israeli settlers said so, they impounded 700 sheep, claiming that they had just passed into a forbidden zone. That's how they play this game. To them, it's all whatever they say it is, whenever they say it is. Guess what, though? To get them back, they have to pay 150,000 shekels. 
something they won't be able to do. I mean, it's just egregious. It's right on the surface. They're destroying Palestinians, and they're laughing about it. Here's the CNN investigation that I showed you a minute ago, but I think it's worth seeing that even CNN is feeling forced. I don't believe they want to or care about it, but feeling forced to point these things out because it's just this obvious and they might gain back some following by pointing these things out. Hold on, it was this one. These are the last moments of Hala Hrace's life. You can see her here leading a group of 30-odd people. They wave white flags, a plea for safe passage out of their neighborhood, now surrounded by Israeli forces. She holds the hand of her five-year-old grandson, Tayyim, tightly, and then suddenly... My God. Little Tayyim quickly runs away as her son, Mohammed, rushes towards her. Holding a child's hand, the woman gets shot. I just, it, this is just the, the, the psychopathic whims of whoever's holding that gun, and nobody cares. We've shown you this one already. This one's not that new. If you slow the video down, you can see Hala start to turn just before she is shot. As if she had caught sight of something. From the angle of her fall and the movement of the fleeing group, it is clear that the bullet came from the west or the south. CNN has geolocated the intersection. Mohammed told us when he reached his mother, he looked up and saw two Israeli tanks ahead of him to the south. And just 200 meters to the west, we know Israeli troops were stationed at the new Gaza prep school for boys, as captured here in satellite images and a photograph published on November 12th, the day Hala was killed. Look at all of them in their, in their blindfolds. I mean, it's just so gross. I mean, again, the the overlap with what the U.S. government would say with any image like this coming out of China versus this, because they just have an excuse here. Well, we don't know. They may be terrorists. It, it doesn't change the fact that you're. it's just this broad excuse on one side and broad condemnation on the other. Makes me sick. And they're, and again, they're, the idea that they're reestablishing settlements, illegal settlements in Gaza, is already taking place. The media is happily ignoring that, including CNN. It's really hard for me to look at the pictures, but I try to remember the beautiful gatherings that we used to share together. Hala's 18-year-old daughter, Sara, was further back in the group. Now safely in Istanbul, she tells us the family had agonized over whether to leave their home, but after two nights of the most intense bombardment yet, decided to move. I remember that my mom, after we all sat down and discussed, she got up and went to the kitchen to make breakfast for everyone in the house. When she was making breakfast, she also went to pray a duha prayer. As some of the chat writes, which I agree, if, if this is what is on CNN, imagine what we're not seeing. Exactly. Like this is this is them giving you 5% because they have to. That's what I would argue. Because this is this stuff is egregiously obvious. And my everything. She wants Hala to be remembered as she was in life. A devoted grandmother who still made Sara sandwiches to take to university for lunch. A retired Arabic literature teacher beloved by her students and family. <laughs> The month before October 7th had been the happiest of times for the family. 
celebrate. For me, it's more important to show you the facts than the emotional side of it all, right? I mean, it's sad that they had families, and I mean, I just you know, you know, I think it's it's we don't need these are human beings with lives. You know, the overzealous effort to humanize them just kind of shows you how easy it is to dehumanize the people that they're attacking, right? Armed civilians have emerged as more videos have emerged of unarmed civilians displaying white flags yeah. apparently shot dead. We showed you the one on the left just the other day. The Geneva-based... Which, Euro by the way, take note of the fact that that's the last American vagabond or other independent media, like a month or more ahead of their breaking investigation, even though it was, the, it, it was already investigated, already proven, right? You don't need to be convinced of that. The point is that they were almost always that far ahead of the corporate media. Pro-Med Human Rights Monitor tells CNN they are investigating nine such incidents. We analyzed four. The most widely reported is the shooting of the three Israeli hostages, who the IDF uh -huh. admitted killing under the mistaken impression that their surrender was a trap. <laughs> the most recent incident, just this week in Mawasi, in southern Gaza. 51-year-old Ramzi Abu Sahul says he is trying to get back to the house where his brother is being held by Israeli forces to plead for his release. The camera zooms in on two Israeli tanks beyond a berm. A drone can be heard overhead. Ramzi and four other family members move tentatively forward, hands in the air, white flag held high. Then suddenly, a burst of gunfire. Ramsey falls to the ground. Jesus. It's just so if you obvious. you down the video, you can see the impact. The first... Yeah. And you remember this. This was done, I think, was it Channel 12? I forget. But they then later put it to the State Department and said, "It's you know, we saw that. We were there. That was their video they captured. It's weird they're not giving me any credit for that. That was their video. But of course, CNN doesn't give them credit. It's funny. But, oh, and they, they drag him back and the mom runs out. It's terribly sad. Another video obtained by CNN was recorded by journalist Rami Abu Jamus on November 10th. He says the IDF ordered his family to evacuate their home and to carry white flags. So this is what's so crazy is the point is they're being told to do this and then they shoot them anyway. As they walk, gunshots can be heard. On the other side of the street, a man You've seen is this one too. wailing over the body of his dead son. <laughs> Ultimately, they declined this to is be important too. IDF, and we offered. We flew to Israel to sit down with the IDF, and we offered to go through the findings of our investigation with them on or yeah. off camera. Sure. Ultimately, they declined to meet with us, Think about and that. they have yet to provide a statement. <laughs> They know they're guilty. They know we all know they're guilty. I just so hold it's, 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 this is so incredible to me. Now here is what I was referencing before, which it's important to see. So I believe the guy speaking at first is the James O'Brien guy that they're, they're, they, they're seeking to kick him out of the LBC platform because of what he says here. I think this is just so, listen to what she says. It's such an obvious it's an excuse that is provably false to justify everything they're doing. This is the kind of thing they do when they go out and float these narratives. But they, why, if that's the case, why don't we hear that everywhere else? These are just efforts to try to set this narrative. 
Mine is a sanctimonious pig attempting to incite more anti-Semitism in the UK. He will have blood on his hands for this. He is without doubt a closeted anti-Semite and should be kicked out of LBC as a very dangerous influencer. That's from Jill in Brighton. So Jill is responding to the question I ask off the back of this clip. And the question is... Does it sound to you as if the Israeli ambassador is justifying the destruction of every home, school and hospital in the Gaza Strip? What's crazy about it is how is that anti-Semitic? She says something that very clearly, even if you believe that that's the case, that every house has a tunnel, that by default then means every one of those homes and schools are military targets. That's all he said. So it's true. But the truth is anti-Semitic, of course, when it's something advent, not politically advantageous for Israel. One of the things we realized that every school, every mosque, every second house has an access to tunnel. So it's so obviously not true. And don't you think they would show that if they had the evidence of that? This is and, and of course ammunition. That's an argument for so, destroying the whole of Gaza. Every single happening. building in it. So do you have another solution how to destroy so that, the that that's me wow. being a sanctum. Do you have another solution other than mass destruction of all infrastructure? Yeah go in there on the ground and engage with the enemy you pretend you're fighting. That's what everybody else would... The point is that instead, they go to carpet bombing everywhere all the time. It's... it's it, that's, what, what, other, what else can we do besides genocide? That's what her answer was. Ammonious pig attempting to incite more anti-Semitism in the UK by asking you... Basically by asking, is that not exactly what happened? Now, let's end today with the kind of game that's being played with the language, right? So here's time. It's basically what he just went through. Israel openly and pretty much, uh, this is from the 3rd of January. Across the board, you can see these individuals. I shouldn't say that, not every one of them, but a lot of them who are discussing the displacement to the Egypt, to Egypt, the Sinai Desert, or to any other place. They pretend this is voluntary migration. That's actually what they're calling it. They're talking with Congo now and other countries about the voluntary migration. How insulting is that when almost every single one of these people are screaming at anyone who listen that this is ethnic cleansing, that they're being displaced, that they don't want, and while they're being bombed along the way. So just so it's clear, it's obvious that they're calling this something that it's not. Here. Oh, wait, hold on. They mixed this up. Hold on. Oh, I guess, I mean, so the point is, let's come back to that then. So it's fresh in your mind. But so uh, the point is, they are actively, while doing that, seeking to occupy this area with settlements yet again. As I wrote here, many of us have been trying to show everyone that this was always the plan. And yet, even with information like what I'm about to show you, far too many still pretend this is some kind of an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory because authority figures say so. Wake up. Here is Oren Ziv. Uh, a news journalist for 972 Magazine, saying now in, Jer- in Jerusalem, hundreds of right-wing settlers take part in a conference to plan the return to the Gaza Strip. Guys, this is a public deployment. They have got plans. They've got construction lined up there, and they're d- flattening everything while telling the media that, oh, we're searching for Hamas, and they just gobble it up because they don't care. But this is obvious. A big map shows locations on the planned settlements in Gaza, some top, some on top of existing Palestinian towns, obviously. Settlers they spoke with at the event are calling to settle in Gaza, refuse to answer directly what will happen to the Palestinians living in Gaza if settlements were built where they live. She told, they, they say they will leave. It's very, very low. But they know 
if they're kind of tap dancing around it, they know that this is not moral or correct, but they don't care. Yossi Dagen, head of the Shoreman Regional Council at the event, calling to settle in Gaza, claimed the 7th of October attack happened because of the Oslo Agreement. Oslo is dead. The people of Israel live. Right? You, again, the Oslo Agreement that Netanyahu guaranteed would not take place. Minister Ben Gavir, one of these completely deranged Zionist entities, at this event says, we need to encourage immigration into Gaza. The very thing that they outwardly pretend is totally a conspiracy theory. Ben Gavir, other ministers, and Amkriz signed a petition for victory and renewal of the settlement of Gaza during the event. It says uh, Gaza, basically the settler leader, says Gaza and the southern gate of Israel will open and the people of Gaza will move to all around the world. Is that what they want? No, no, it's really not. This is just the, the last step of a phase of complete ethnic cleansing and displacement. It says, personally, he writes, the most interesting thing to see was thousands of Israelis dancing and singing, which not very common in Israel after October 7th, but they are as they see the war as a great opportunity to build settlements in Gaza. Think about how ridiculous that is. And here, as I've shown you, oh, this was just low-key showing you the same thing, but showing at this rally, there were specifically Israeli ministers dancing, same thing. Just so, so very clear what you're looking at here. And I believe that's actually that, I don't want to guess. Yeah, anyway, so Gavir dancing about the same thing. And I've shown you this before as well. They're, this is, they write, Zionist terrorists are already trying to settle in Gaza. They send their children through to Gaza holding terrorist flags. They, look, th this, is, this is a video saying the video was published on WhatsApp group on the caption on, uh, basically it was, it was children from Gaza who broke through the fence in our direction. Today, our children break through the fence into Gaza Strip. Now, two things to point out. First of all, look, and this is just children running in to the supposedly secure area, planting Israeli flags, running back, because the plan is they're going to take it, and they all know that, they're saying it out loud. But we just saw that this other Israeli walked in there with basically nobody stopping him. Now, if that's the reality, it would explain how they went through. Maybe it's not. Maybe he was let through and they killed him anyway. In this case, just realize that it's most likely that they're being allowed to go in there and do that. Either way, it's obvious that this is what's coming. And this is what these signs are. Settlements. Think victory, it says. And here is a video that went out on Hulu, which is owned by Disney. About... What Gaza will be like when we remove all of the bad Palestinians. This literally went out on Hulu. This is beautiful Gaza. These are stunning beaches and charming boardwalks. You can stay in one of our five-star hotels and get a taste of the best in Middle Eastern food. I mean, they're already advertising for what this will be like when they remove everybody. Embrace the vibrant nightlife of the city and experience a culture rich in tradition. This is what Gaza could have been like without Hamas. See? So it starts off like some advertisement about how wonderful it would have been if these bad people weren't here. Now, they make it about Hamas, but obviously the whole point is this is all of Palestine, and they're talking about an area which is inside of a controlled open-air prison discussion. Now, just in your time, you get the point of that. I want to wrap this, but it's just, it's, it's constant, and it's in your face, and when we say that they're trying to resettle illegal settlements in Gaza, you get called a conspiracy theorist. But everywhere else, it's a public conversation. And again, the point is, they're talking about voluntary migration. That's what they're pretending this is. And that brings to the last point of the show today. Here's Elon Levy saying, 
and quoting what she said, the sort of vol like oh, she, it's confusing if I just read it. Let me play the clip first. Immigration, and I think so. He starts by calling it voluntary immigration, the Palestinians and the mass displacement. This is how she responds to that. Immigration, and I think anyone in the world who voluntarily wants to move to another country should be eligible to do that. Uh, mm. But you know what? Oh, well, really, for, first, really quickly, think about what he's saying. You're talking about got Palestinians that are in this open air controlled area prison that they're not allowed to leave from. That's an easily proven fact that I've gone over so many times. And yet acting like, no, they should be able to. Well, yeah, you're, you're right. They should have been. Now you're suddenly pretending like they always could have been and they're all choosing to do this. Like, it's just so it's on the surface false. And everybody knows that. They don't care, though. They're just continuing to push the air. Lie and lie and lie again until people take that as the, the reality, right? What's the saying? The saying is uh, a lie repeated often enough becomes the truth, right? Another country the world who voluntarily wants to move to another country should be eligible to do that. Uh, mm. But you know what? It's not mm. the first time that we hear those allegations. I yeah, think the sort of yes, the sort of voluntary relocation of, of many Jewish people during the Holocaust. I imagine I, it is not. So her point is obviously not that she thinks that, but she's trying to make the point that how how dare you suggest this is voluntary when the like, basically saying you know like Jews were voluntarily put in camps during the Holocaust. Like it's in her point is that was insulting for you to say that, and he goes, which is always how this works, off. How dare you? That's insulting. I'm insulted. You better apologize. Just nonstop, nonstop, even though what he said is the exact equivalent. But that's the insulting thing in general, because their lives don't matter as much. How dare you pretend Palestinian lives matter as much as ours? Watch how he responds. Of, of many Jewish people during the Holocaust, I imagine. I, it is not going to be relocation. Shame on you for that. Let us please. Let us. Let us please go to the subjective. You said. You said earlier. You said earlier. This is pure anti-Semitism. What you just said, Mr. Danon. The Holocaust. What's happening today in Gaza? Mr. Danon, you. First of all, she didn't compare the Holocaust, but that's a valid consider. If we're talking about genocides, then that's very clearly what's happening today. She simply tried to show you that what you said was insulting and you're too dense to recognize it or too caught up in the agenda to care. You talked about eradicating Hamas. Shame on you, you for this about... behavior. Shame on you for this equation. You should apologize for what you just said on, 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 on record about the Holocaust. How can you even compare that? Voluntary. It's not what she did. But of course, he probably knows that. Doesn't matter. He took the he took advantage of the thing that you're supposed to take advantage of, and of course, because they clearly applied the pressure that they clearly have on a lot of these platforms. Sky News has apologized, apologized for an uh, for an obvious example to say you are acting like it's voluntary when we know that it's not. And her point was as voluntary as this was, meaning that neither were voluntary. In no way does that insult anybody other than him for making a stupid comment. But of course, they apologize because that's how this works. In an interview earlier today with Israeli politician Danny Danon, a Sky News presenter made a comparison between Mr. Danon's comments on Israel's war with Hamas and the treatment of Jewish people in the Holocaust. Not really. But that's what you're supposed to say because that's what they claimed happened. Sky News recognized the complete inappropriateness of this comparison <laughs> and the offensive nature of those comments. Sky News would like to apologize unreservedly for the comparison and to Mr. Danon personally for making the comparison. How meek and cowardly. It's just that's just make it's disgusting. You're a coward. And of course, she's probably going to be penalized for it, or maybe lose her job, even though and this is how it works. One of the people that are willing to push back.
Now, here's another example. This is the guy who was in that interview. He says, earlier today, I submitted a formal letter to Sky News Group requesting the immediate termination. See my point? During our interview, she made a shocking comparison between the present situation and Gaza and the Holocaust. Again, that's not actually what happened. She was comparing your stupid statement to how ridiculous it would be say, to say the same thing about other people who were not willfully being migrated. In 2024, he says, there should be no tolerance for news anchors who propagate anti-Semitism. It's just absurd. And if, if you want to talk about anti-Semitism, what you're doing to Palestinians is in by definition anti-Semitic, but who cares about that? Inappropriate parallels between democratic state of Israel and the Nazis. Right. You mean the Nazi elements that Lehigh Party tried to line up next to? Go ahead, Real News. Yell about it. The point is it's an obvious provable fact of history, but that doesn't matter though. Right? Because it's all about the dynamic. And just like Gideon, uh, Gideon uh, Levi or Gideon Levi or Levy, Gideon Levy said, right? You're the perpetual victim. So it doesn't matter. And here's a course that I showed you the other day. Here's how he ends it. For This is Elon Levy. For years, we wondered if the Holocaust happened, if it happened today, where would people stand? Then October 7th happened and they showed us. It just, again, it's just, it's not even supporters of them can take this seriously. Obviously, October 7th was a horrible thing in the sense of the people that were hurt. Again, the act of rebellion, of armed rebellion, was legally protected by international law per the Fourth Geneva Convention to the right for an occupied entity to armed rebellion. That's a fact, regardless of what you think Hamas is. And the crimes that were committed around it are crimes, and they should be held accountable for it. But that was a one-day thing. It happened, it's, and we could call out the actions. Should they have stopped there? Yeah, that would be consuming the conversation. But then you went on to commit one of the most obvious examples of genocide in living memory. And, you're, and you want to point back to the one day that start? I mean, it's just absurd. And yeah, the point is you're proving that it's the, the statement that people keep making as the people in the Holocaust descendants were saying. It means not again for everyone. To Elon Levy, it means not again only for us. Then October 7th happened. They are committing the Holocaust up today. It's obvious. And the world court made that place. Everyone around the world, human rights groups and UN and Oxfam and everyone else says the same, except the people politically aligned with their government that disagree. So we're taking the word of politicians now over pretty much every expert. Yes. And the point was the day he said this, Cuts News points out the Ministry of Health is saying that Israel's committed 18 different massacres in the past 24 hours, killing 174 people, wounding 310 in one day. But let's keep pointing back to what you said happened on October 7th, even though we've proven you've lied about a whole, if most of what happened there, and provably shot your own people. How We don't know the full number. So as you keep pointing at that day, a lot of the people that died that you are using to argue that was a Holocaust were killed by your own people. They've admitted that. Hostages have admitted that. Apache helicopter pilots have admitted that. Tank drivers have admitted that. The head of the security team at Kibbutz Ba'ere admitted that. IDF members have admitted that. People who came back from hostages in Gaza have secondarily admitted that you're trying to kill them over there. But keep telling us about what you're dealing with, Elon. Everybody sees through you. Hopefully, hopefully we can actually stop them from committing genocide on a continual basis. But thank you for tuning in today, guys. I think this stuff is monumentally important. I think what's happening in Texas now begins to show you that this is much bigger 
in the sense that when they're telling you that Hamas will be on your shores, that maybe it's more of a threat than we realize. That now we're seeing an entity that, it's, that is aligned with Mossad coming through the Texas border as we're watching the slowly changing dynamic of what Biden's saying about Israel. Who knows if that's pressure? Who knows if that's something bigger? At the same time, we're watching them lose complete control of the narrative as they continue to commit genocide and Biden's administration removes the funding for the one group that's actually helping people on the ground. It's just a hard time right now to see this, to be, I mean, it's a hard thing to come to terms with what your government actually is, especially if you've been lost in the narratives and the arguments and the agendas for so long. But it's a positive thing, guys. And that's what a lot of this tends to be. I haven't said it in a while, but my point has always been, you know, we cover a lot of really difficult topics on the show. A lot of un, 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 unsettling things, things that make you unhappy, things that make you think the world is falling apart. But my point has always been that I think there's a, always a silver lining that shows you that it's more of a positive term. Like the fact that we're able to reach people and that we are changing the conversation to such a degree that this genocidal entity is being called out for it. That's a win if I've ever seen one. But we're in dark times. There's a lot of bad things happening. And I think I'm watching the positive edge to this and we need to keep fighting for that. So as we are increasing the reach of this discussion, as we're changing things, as we're stopping people from taking deadly injections, recognize the positive in all of this, that people are seeing through it. That doesn't mean that the evil people will stop doing evil things, but we can try. But still find the, the like in, in this community, in, in the love and the compassion and the, and the inquisitive minds that we see in this community and many other independent media communities, see the win there and the positive that we see. There's a lot of good people fighting for good things in this world, and we have to focus on that. So don't lose sight of that with all the darkness that the two-party paradigm for Americans is casting over you. They want you to be scared. They want you to feel that things are falling apart. And in some cases, there's reason to be scared. In some cases, things are falling apart. But I, re I argue every day we are chipping away and every day we make a difference and every day people's lives are saved because of what you're doing. So don't stop. Continue to push. Stay the course. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.